This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a little Friday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk as part of the, uh, I guess this is technically Canada Day long weekend. I think many people probably blew off today at the office and are hopefully out um, somewhere staying cool and enjoying the weekend and uh, this hot weather we've got here in southern Manitoba. Great to have you with us. Hope you had a great day off yesterday. And for those of you that are grinding away at the office, hang out with us for the next hour or two and uh, we'll get you through right till uh, hopefully closing time as you head out onto the weekend. Um, as always, big thanks to our sponsors, policyme.com, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nikki DQ Group, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug, Breezy Bend, Boston Pizza, Aikens Lake, Wilderness Lodge, Assiniboia Downs, and Cool Bet Canada. We will get to the Cool Bet lines later on on today's show. And for those of you that remember um, the warm-up on the day before the 4th of July weekend was always significant because, of course, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest is coming up on the weekend, so we'll certainly touch on that um dustin nielsen and i did the lock shop early today normally do it friday night it's up there already so uh, maybe a little later on you can check that or if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't already checked us out um just search lock shop on uh, your favorite podcast feed and uh we'll uh we'll get after it um like that and can uh, see what we've got cooking for the weekend when it comes to the bets um let's get remus in here remo what's going on uh, how was your day off do you made it to the to the beach you get in the water or what um hey everyone what's up um we went to the beach um i got my feet in i didn't jump in but uh my son like went going up to the water and he just sat there and like threw rocks in the water for like an hour straight it was awesome and i kind of just watched him (laughs) so i was like we could do this all day we had to drag him away uh from the beach he he loved it so uh that was great uh, yeah, no, listen, lots to, uh, it, it was great. I mean, bottom line right now, make sure you're staying hydrated. Um, you know, mix in a water or two with your 1919s or, um, I got to tell you right now, right now, this summer lager, little brown jug, well, uh, they're most definitely, uh, exactly what you want to be, uh, what we'll be getting on this week. Um, so listen, we've got lots to get to tonight. We have the cup final game number three this evening. We're also going to talk to our good friend John Horn uh, because John is, uh, he's always been our go-to guy for tennis. Uh, big day for Canadians at Wimbledon. But John's also covering what I've been talking about for the last few days, and that's Canada trying to get to the Olympics for our basketball team. Semifinals are set. Those will go tomorrow, so we'll head out in a few minutes to uh, Victoria and welcome in John Horn to the program. And uh, it's Friday. Normally, we kind of get Kenny or Rennie on on Thursdays. No show yesterday. So Weber, shockingly not on the golf course today, I think is a little bit too hot for Ken. So Ken's going to come on a little bit later on on the program. Um, Remo, you know, uh, we were going to get into, um, you know, certainly the the cup final. Um, some big bomber news as well. Cam Meredith, a former NFL receiver, signing here in Winnipeg and sort of a weird story that, um, you know, how that all came to be with him actually being here in Winnipeg. So we'll certainly touch on that trade yesterday in the National Hockey League and more. Um, But I I think we've got John Horn uh, available to come on relatively soon. So maybe we'll put that up a little bit earlier and then we'll get into some of the hockey, the bomber talk and what more after John joins us, leading us into 
uh, Ken Weeb coming up a little bit later on. Well, listen, before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends at policyme.com. Probably heard me talk about it before. Probably been thinking, yeah, you know what? Maybe I have been putting off getting life insurance for me and my family. It's not something that people are fired up to purchase. That's for sure. And I get it. But if you have loved ones, children, investments, um, that rely on you, um, you got to make sure that those are covered in case something happens to you. Um, but listen, nobody wants to, you know, be going to a bunch of in-person meetings. No one wants to wait six or eight weeks to find out if they're approved. They want to do it easily. They want to do it quickly and they want to get a great rate. And that is what policy me was designed to do. And that's what they're bringing to Canadians right now. Uh, you'll get great rates averaging 10 to 20% lower than other insurers in Canada. It's very simple. Um, you go online about 15 minutes, answer a few questions. You'll find out if you're approved for coverage instantly instead of waiting weeks with most other companies. And most people don't require a medical exam. And the best part about it is it's easy, simple, straightforward pro- pro- process, 100% online. You won't even be talking to anyone. No confusing paperwork or insurance, insurance jargon. 15 minutes, easy to understand application, in, out, all done on your computer at your leisure. Don't wait any longer. This is not something you want to procrastinate on. You'll feel much better once you've got it. Policyme.com is the place to go. And uh, policyme.com, make sure when you ask where uh, they found out about it, make sure you say podcast. And uh, if you can specify Winnipeg Sports Talk, great, uh, great stuff from Policy Me. Um, we will get to our trip to Royal Sports earlier today. Uh, now, I popped in to check out a few things. We were actually doing something in the parking lot, which we'll, uh, we'll show you on the program a little later on. Uh, but right now, we've got these great Euro quarterfinal matchups, and they are moving a lot of amazing soccer merch over there. I mean, they're already the home, uh, home for boots, balls, I mean, everything to do outside. But when it comes to the merchandise, the Euro gear is amazing. They've got all the top teams there, as well as the Stars jerseys from around their world with their club teams. Uh, but it's so much more than soccer. Obviously, baseball. They've got an expanded fitness center. Uh, lots of people going camping right now. An amazing selection of high-end camping goods, as well as Yeti mugs. I mean, man, there's... Anyway, you got to get there. Get ready for summer. Pop down to Royal Sports and tell them that your friends at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you 650 Rally EK and 750 Pemina Highway. And if there was ever a time to be talking DQ, it is right now. We're pushing 35, 38 at some point this weekend. If that's not blizzard weather, I don't know what is. The Kit Kat blizzard is back. The drumstick blizzard is amazing. I believe they've got a mint girl guide cookie blizzard rocking right now. And, of course, if you are getting together with the family at some point that maybe you haven't seen for a while, uh, you know, step it up. Let's get a DQ cake going. Uh, four locations from Nick and Nikki DQ, Niverville, Northgate, Polo Park, and St. Anne's. And if you want to um, get a cake ready and waiting for you, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. All right, let's uh, let's get to it. We're getting a little early, but we are fired up. I want to talk tennis. I want to talk hoops. And I want to talk much more with our friend John Horn, who joins us for the first time on video here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. John, what's going on? Thanks so much for doing this. Not uh, not much, man. Thanks for having me. Just hanging out in the uh, the hotel room. A rare day off at the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament. So uh, I shouldn't call it a day off. A day off for the players in terms of games. But, uh, of course, as for us behind the scenes uh people who have to make television and so forth, uh, never an off day, unfortunately. 
Well, of course, and I'm sure you're paying close attention to what's happening across the pond at the All England Tennis Club as well as uh, as always. So we'll talk a little tennis later on, but let's first off, I mean, fill people in on you're in Victoria right now. Yeah. It is a very unique situation, Canada, a last chance opportunity to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, we've seen a number of NBA stars come in. It's been a great start so far. I mean, paint the picture of it. What's it like? I mean, no fans in the building, lots on the table, and you've got these NBA stars going on, playing on home court. I imagine Canada's got a pretty good feeling heading into this big semi tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, really, it's great. And by the way, just before we touch on the basketball, I mean, what a think of where we were at this time a year ago and where we are now. And I heard you talking about a little bit earlier just how great it is right now with all the different sports that are going on. I mean, you got this great Switzerland-Spain Euro game that's on right now. Uh, the Wimbledon's in full swing. Shapovalov's just playing Andy Murray right now. Um, you know, you got the Stanley Cup final, you got the NBA playoffs, and now you've got Canada trying to get into the Olympics. Uh, you know, was this where we were at a year ago? Think of where we were then compared to where we are now and all the different stuff. It's like right now you can't keep your hand out of your uh, your fingers off the remote because you're going to be flipping back and forth to so many different things. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting time over here because, you know, uh, I think at the time this tournament was supposed to have been played last year because the Olympics were supposed to be last year. So everything got moved to this year. Um, and obviously having, you know, Canada having a chance to get to the Olympics and having a chance to do it on their home soil um, is certainly something that doesn't happen very often and is a great opportunity. And, um, you know, if it was last year and there was no pandemic, um, it would have been great. And then they would have had all the fans and it would have been packed and the atmosphere would have been outstanding. Um, and so unfortunately we don't get that, that this year, they're still going for the prize of getting to the Olympics, but we don't have the fans. They're only allowing 10% of fans in, which just started yesterday. So that was off after the first two Canadian games, ironically. Uh, so starting, uh, for the games on Saturday, 10% of fans will be in there. So only about 800 of the 8,000 seats that are available. Um, but you know, in some ways it's kind of good that it got moved, not, not for the fans perspective because they can't see it in person and it would have been great for Victoria because Victoria doesn't get that kind of, you know, competition in Victoria very often, uh, in BC, but since the Grizzlies have gone, you don't get the NBA players in town very often, the odd exhibition game here and there. Um, but to have the caliber of uh, talent on the Canadian team, as well as some of these other, uh, other teams, uh, like Turkey and the Czech Republic and, um, you know, Greece, uh, you know, got one of the greatest coaches of all time and Rick Pitino coaching the Greek team. Uh, it's too bad that people can't see it in person. But that said, uh, if the tournament was last year instead of this year, maybe the rosters would have looked different. Maybe Canada wouldn't have got all the players that they've got this time around, uh, even though they're missing some big stars like Jamal Murray, Dylan Brooks, uh, Kelly Olynyk as an example. Um, but they still have a ton of other players. Maybe they wouldn't have got Andrew Wiggins if it was last year. Maybe, um, you know, Corey Joseph wouldn't have played. Who knows? Um, so the roster that they do have right now is really strong. Um, just imagine if you add those players that I just mentioned who aren't here, uh, it makes them even stronger. And, uh, you know, several of the players on the other teams have said, look, that Canada's the favorite to come out of this group. They have the most talented players um, other than the U.S. in the world because of just how Canada basketball has developed over the years. And uh, I think it's 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 a special time and a great opportunity for Canada to to get into the Olympics. And they haven't been there since 2000 for men's basketball. So uh, unfortunate fans can't be here in person to see it. But I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are going to be watching at home. It's going to be, you know, if Canada can get to the final, the final will be on Sunday. And uh, there'll be a great atmosphere for that uh, in front of TV sets, just not in person, unfortunately. 
Uh, John Horn's with us from Victoria covering the uh, Canada's quest to qualify in Olympic basketball semifinal tomorrow against the Czech Republic. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Brooks and certainly Jamal Murray, Shai Gilgis Alexander, another player that would have been having a major role. Uh, but it has been interesting to see a guy like Andrew Wiggins come back and wear the red and white for the first time. And I want to say five or six years. Yeah. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker has been a big addition, obviously RJ Barrett, but this team did not play any games before if they went out against the Greeks earlier this week. Um, you know, Nick Nurse has a plan. I mean, what an incredible coach to have on the sidelines putting it all together. Uh, but, John, how would you characterize the game against Greece and against China? It did seem like, you know, there has been some, uh, I don't want to call them growing pains. The team got better, though, as they went through both of the games. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think that was the the one thing that, you know, there was a small bit of concern coming in that, you know, Canada, as you said, hadn't really played, they hadn't played any games together. So uh, they had a training camp in Tampa Bay. So they got to, you know, scrimmage and, and practice and get to know each other. And a lot of these guys know each other anyway, from previous uh, years playing for the uh, younger uh, Canadian teams, not necessarily the national team. So some of these kids have, have been around uh, over the years, just not playing at this level, but, uh, and they know each other from the NBA as well. But uh, certainly when you play games, it makes a big difference as opposed to scrimmaging against yourself and practicing just like it is for anybody. So um, these guys, you know, got together and played on the court for the first time together uh, in the first game of the tournament against Greece. And, uh, you know, they, they were down, I believe, four at the half. Greece uh, played played well in that first first half. And uh, Canada was a little sloppy, a few turnovers. Um and, you know, they, they, they've started to figure things out as the game went along. And maybe it was an advantage to play of the three teams in their group. Uh, Greece is probably the stronger team other than China, who they played and they blew out by 30 in the second game. So maybe it was a good thing to play the Greek team first. So they had to get up to a good level, um, you know, immediately on. And then even against uh, China, I mean, they pretty much controlled that game, uh, albeit a couple spurts at the end of the second, uh, second quarter and the st- end of the third quarter where China went on like 7-0 and 9-0 runs, but really the game was almost out of hand at that point anyway. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a, it's an, it's one of those things where, you know, you, when you don't play with each other, you don't know where players are going to be on the floor like you would when you're playing in a regular season game in the NBA or you're playing for a Euro team, whichever team you play for. Um, you know, it takes a little while to gel. It takes a little while to get the chemistry. I mean, you know what you're going to get from most of the guys anyway, just in terms of their game. You know, Andrew Wiggins is going to be driving to the hoop and he can shoot from the outside. Corey Joseph is going to shoot from the outside. Um, you know, uh, uh, R.J. Barrett is is a, is a great shooter, but he can also drive to the hoop too. And you're going to get some good boards and things from guys like Andrew Nicholson, who I thought played really well in the China game uh, coming off the bench. So, I mean, I think that there's, there, there, there are guys who are, who are, you know, good players on the team. It's just a matter of gelling them all together. And I think that they... They, they did that in the second game. And, you know, when you look at, you know, they're going to play the Czech Republic in the semifinal on Saturday. Uh, I've been watching all the games and uh, the Czech Republic was supposed to be one of those teams that would would come out and be tough uh, in their group. And quite honestly, in both their games, they didn't look very good at all. They didn't look good down the stretch in their first game against Turkey, in which they lost. And then uh, when they played Uruguay, a team that they should have beaten by a lot more than they did, Uruguay actually had a chance to win the game on a last uh, seven seconds left. 
Uruguay's top player missed a three pointer, which if he hits that, then Czech maybe is out of, is out of it. So they, Canada might have been playing uh-huh. Uruguay. So um, the Czechs haven't really shown me anything. They are a good team, though. They've got some big guys in the middle. Uh, Thomas Sandoransky plays for the Chicago Bulls, is a very good player. Um, but I think Canada is in good shape to get to the final um, if the Czechs don't play any better than they did in those first two games because they certainly weren't that impressive. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was getting ready for lock shop last night, looking ahead to you know some of the odds, and then, oh, the game wasn't finished, so I'm looking at the matchups, who's Canada's playing. Mm-hmm. Uruguay was up by 10 or 11 in the second half on the Czechs. I mean, I, I, I was somewhat surprised. I, tur- I opened up, and I'm wait a second, Canada's playing the Czechs? Um, they obviously had to really get their act together late in the game to avoid a pretty embarrassing uh, ousting of the tourney. Yeah, I mean, Uruguay, look, they're, they're one of the, they were sort of the, the out of all the six teams, they were the team that was definitely the the one that everyone looked at as being the team that probably didn't have any chance of, of winning it. Um, you know, they don't really have any super strong players. I mean, Jason Granger or J- Jason Granger plays for Uruguay. Um, his father was actually... Um, had, played in the NBA a little bit and then uh, moved to Uruguay and played basketball over there. And that's where Jason was born. So uh, he's got some NBA roots in him. He's a really good, really good player. He actually has a, a eerily similar look to Kobe Bryant. Actually, he's, uh, he's kind of got that facial look of Kobe Bryant, uh, but he's a good player. He can shoot from the outside. He's a veteran. He plays in Euro basketball. He's playing in Berlin right now. Um, you know, it was probably the wrong decision at the end of the game to go for that three. They had more time on the clock. They probably could have, he probably could have driven, driven in the lane and maybe gone for something there. But, you know, could have, should have, would have. You never know in situations like that what the decision making is. And he's their best player. He had the ball. He went for what he thought was the good shot and he, and he didn't make it. It happened. So, I mean, the checks were lucky. Um, you know, they, they just, they, they need to work on their defense. They've been turning the ball over their defensive play. Hasn't been great. Um, and I think that, you know, against Canada, who's a much more in terms of NBA caliber players uh, is a much stronger team. Now that said, a lot of these guys on the Czech team play Euro basketball and they know the FIBA rules a lot better. They, they play together more so than, than the Canadian team has. So it's going to be, you know, a matter of talent against experience, um, you know, playing together. And I just think that, uh, you know, from what we've seen from the Canadian team so far and what we've seen from the Czech team so far, um, you know, not to, not that Canada should take the Czech team likely, but I, I just don't see how Canada can lose this game unless their game really falls apart. And uh, I just think that Canada's got too many weapons and too many options uh, for that to happen. Um, John, uh, of course, they got to do more than beat the Czechs. They got to win the final as well. Um, yeah. I think based on what we've seen so far, the expectation is that the the Turkey and the Turks will probably be the the challenge for them at the end, assuming that, you know, they don't play one of the teams mm-hmm. they already played. Well, Greece, I guess, in the first round. Yeah. Um, how uh, formidable is the uh, are the Turks? I mean, they're a good team. I mean, they're they're a physical team. Um, you know, they play a physical game. Um, they've shown that in the two games that they've played. Um, you know, they've got some NBA uh, NBA talent on that team. Uh, Osman is a is a very good player. Plays for Cleveland. Um, Ilyasova can shoot from the outside. Uh, plays for the Utah Jazz. Uh, they've got some really gritty players and, uh, you know, they've looked good in both their games. I thought, I thought they played really well in the, in the opener and, uh, and I thought they played really well in their second game too. So winning both those, winning both of their games, uh, they were impressive. And I think, um, they're, they're the team that would give Canada the biggest challenge. And I think that, uh, if that is the final, um, and that's what I at this point think will be the final, um, with all due respect to Greece, who, you know, is coached by a legend in Rick Pitino, but I just don't think they're, you know, they've had, they've had a couple of injuries. They're missing a player, uh, 
Uh, Spanoulis, who was is a great European player over the years, had a cup of tea in the NBA, uh, just retired, and uh, they really feel that loss. Like he was their leader, he was their their guy, and he got injured right before, and then decided to retire. So they're missing him. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, Giannis is playing in the in the NBA playoffs. Well, he's not really playing, but he was playing. He, he may be playing more. Who knows? And his brother too. So um, they're missing those two guys. Uh, and, and I just think that the Turkey is the better team. And uh, I think it'd be a great matchup, Canada Turkey, uh, on Sunday night. Uh, the the sports get is clear in uh, Canada, as far as I I know. I think there might be Sunday night baseball, and that's about it. But uh, they've scheduled the game so that uh, you'll be able to watch it in the evening at 7 o'clock on Sunday night. And there should be nothing else there. So it should be a great audience and uh, a lot of attention uh, for the Canadian basketball team doing something they haven't done in 20 years. Well, let me ask you that. Just one more on the hoops. Um, They're at home. They are the favorites. Mm -hmm. They've got all this NBA talent. How much pressure is on this Canadian team to get it done? And I mean, I don't want to think about it, but if they don't get it done, what what does that mean for Canada basketball with all this talent and once again not being in the big dance? Yeah, well, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and we were talking about, you know, how many times do we in Canada talk about, you know, the last time Canada did something? And, the, the, you know, like in this case, Canada hasn't been the Olympics since 2000 uh, in basketball. Um, when was the last time the Stanley Cup was raised by a Canadian team? You know, who, when was the last Canadian to win the Canadian Open in golf? Like, it's always like these dates from years and years ago, right? We're always talking about how come it's been so long since this and that hasn't happened. Um, so will it be disappointing? Uh, obviously, uh, I think everybody wants to see, you know, the Canadian basketball team in the Olympics. And quite honestly, I mean, when you look at the talent of the Canadian um, team, um, the players who were there and the players who aren't there, um, you know, Thomas Sadoransky from, uh, from the Czech said, you know, Canada is the second best basketball nation in the world based on talent because of all the players they have. I mean, you've seen in the NBA what's happened with how many players are in the NBA now and the influence of Steve Nash and Vince Carter uh, to all these players and why they got into basketball. I mean, the Canada basketball is stacked with players. So even though we're missing arguably two, you know, the best Canadian player in Jamal Murray, um, you know, look at all the other players who are playing who are, you know, great players who some of them who are starters in the NBA. So would it be disappointing that they, they didn't, they don't make the Olympics. Of course it would, if they get to the Olympics um, and they do win this tournament. Uh, I think that there's a very good opportunity that Canada, I mean, Canada should definitely medal. There's no reason why they can't at least get a bronze. The, the team, obviously they're going to have to beat to win the gold would be the U S but um, you know, some of the other teams that are going to be there are clearly not as strong as the Canadian team. And uh, so I think, yeah, it would be disappointing if they don't get there. Would it be would it be you know horrendous if they don't? No, because I think that you know Canada is going to be a powerhouse on the national basketball scene for years to come, just based on all the players and how young everybody is. I mean, other than Corey Joseph, um, you know, Andrew Nicholson's a little bit older, and they've got a couple other older players. But Wiggins is young, R.J. Barrett is young, Jamal Murray is young, uh, Kelly Olynyk is still you know still young. Um, you know, Dylan Brooks is young. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker is young. So they got, they got lots of young players who are going to be around for a long, long time. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, just because they don't get in this time, um, I, by the way, I expect they, I, I'm predicting that they will get through, uh, and get in, but I think the future of Canada basketball is outstanding right now. I think it, it looks really good. It's almost as good as tennis. If we want to use that as a segue. <laughs> It's a perfect segue, and of course, uh, you should be following John on Twitter, at SportsHorn. Normally, we are talking tennis, especially at this time of year, and 
There is lots to talk about right now. Two Canadians, both seated in the top 16, both still alive. Um, what have you thought about Shapovalov and Felix Auger Aliasim so far in this tournament heading into their next matches? Well, I can tell you it's been it's been lack of sleep on the uh, on the front over here because it's you know being on the west coast for watching Wimbledon is not uh, is not ideal when matches are starting at five six in the morning. So uh, luckily the Shapovalov match just started now, so it's a more reasonable time frame. So uh, it's been difficult. I mean, I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch the Bianca Andreescu match, which she lost is probably a good thing because she didn't play. You know, she didn't look like she played very well, only winning three games, but. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think uh, here we are again talking about, you know, the youth of Canadian tennis and how good a position things are for these for, for the nation in terms of tennis players. Uh, it's not, you know, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, we would go to Wimbledon in, say, 2011 to 2015, 2016, and it was Jeannie Bouchard on the women's side and Milos Raonic on the men's side. And with all due respect to Daniel Nestor in doubles, that was it for, for Canadian tennis. And look what's happened since. Now you've got Bianca Andrescu, you got Leila Fernandez playing on the women's side. And then on the men's side, you've got Shapovalov and Oje Aliassime. Uh, and then you've got uh, Milos Raonic still, and Vasily Pospisil is back. So there, there are other players to to watch now. And uh, I mean, I think that the opportunity this year for for Shapovalov, who's already up a break in this first set, is about to go up three one here. Um, I, I mean, I think it's outstanding. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing you know the coming of tennis getting even better. Um, you know, in men's and women's. Uh, I mean, we've we've now seen Bianca win the U.S. Open. Uh, that that's something that no Canadian had ever done. Um, you know, Felix Auger-Aliassime has been to a number of finals, but he just hasn't got over the hump yet. Uh, Denis Shapovalov has, has won his first tournament. He's he's played some good tennis this year, got to some semifinals of some bigger tournaments. Um, you know, and we saw what he did at the Rogers Cup a bunch of years ago when he beat Nadal. That was kind of like his springboard. But I mean, there there are a lot of uh, really good tennis players in this country, and there's some that are coming up, you know, younger than these guys that are starting to develop too. So, um, you know, this year I think you know Shapovalov having a chance against Murray on center court in such a big stage, uh, I expect him to win that match. I think Murray is is uh, is done. I mean, he's had nine, he's played nine sets, seven and a half hours. Shapovalov. Uh, had a three and a half hour first round match of five sets, but then he got a walkover in the second round, so he didn't even have to play. So he's obviously the fitter of the two players. He's younger. He's got two regular hips and not two metal hips. So I mean, that's going to be a that's going to be a big advantage. Uh, I mean, it's great. The story of Andy Murray is great. The resilience, it's awesome. Uh, doing it in England too is is on on in Wimbledon, which is you know they love Andy Murray there. Even though he's a Scot, though, by the way, he's not he's not a he's not English. He's a Scot. They don't they mention that around all the, around the all England. Forget, yeah. We kind of forget about that. Um, it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's great that uh, to see him playing so well, and I think Felix Ojeda, he seemed too. He's He's uh, played well on grass this year. He's already got to a final. Um, you know, he's been playing good tennis, and uh, he's playing Nick Kyrgios. I think that'll be really entertaining and interesting. Uh, we know what Kyrgios brings to the table, and uh, but he hasn't been playing much. Uh, he's been staying in Australia. He didn't go anywhere outside during the pandemic. So Wimbledon is his first tournament outside of Australia since the pandemic started. And you know, he, he even admits he doesn't really practice and doesn't have a coach. <laughs> he just kind of goes out there and wings it, and he's just so talented that he can do that. It's pretty nuts, but. Um, I think that, you know, Felix has got a really good opportunity to be curious just for that reason is that Felix is, they're almost like the complete polar opposites of each other. Like Felix is very down to earth, very straight laced, very polite, very, you know, 
business as usual goes about his business. Whereas Nick Kyrgios is kind of, you know, you know how he is. He's just all over the place and doesn't really, sometimes he doesn't try and sometimes he doesn't care. And, you know, he can, if he gets down, then he gets frustrated. So they're almost complete polar opposites of each other. So just based on the fact that Felix has been playing really well, um, he's probably a little bit more serious about it. Not that Kyrgios isn't going to care or doesn't want to play. I just think that, that, Felix is the more composed player in a situation like this at a slam. Although, you know, the crowd is going to be behind Kyrgios because they love him. So uh, it'll be entertaining, but I, I think Felix wins that match. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just looking at the odds. Felix is uh, is a favorite, but a slight favorite. I mean, it's nothing yeah. compared to how heavily favored the Chapovalov was. Although I'll be honest, John, going into this match, I was a little nervous about this spot for Chapo, just in that, you know, Andy Murray's already beaten a seeded player in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's some like if this was a regular event that Andy Murray was playing in, I uh, you know it would be whatever. But I mean, there's something special with him on that center court. He's won sure. the championship twice before. And um, listen, I know Shapo's a very popular player, but there will be a ton of support for Andy Murray. And I guess the most important thing for Shapo overall is like you mentioned Nick Kyrgios being all over the place. At sometimes Shapovalov has been his own worst enemy. You know, oh, totally. with with yeah. letting things get to him, handling things poorly, and having small things, you know, it mushroom into bigger problems and costing mm-hmm. him matches. Um, but a lot of the composure and the things that have happened in the past, I think, you you would hope from a Canadian tennis fan's perspective, um, are hard lessons learned that'll make him more prepared for spots like this. Yeah, I mean, we we've we've seen uh, you know Denis Shapovalov in situations. You're right where he's had. I mean, he had an opportunity. He was playing Rafael Nadal on clay on you know Rafael Nadal's best surface, and he had he was up a break in the third set. He got him to a tie break, and he wasn't able to seal the deal. Um, you know, you're right. Shapovalov's biggest problem is that he gets himself into trouble, and if he can keep the ball in the court and could stop going for like these crazy shots and just keep the ball in the court and rally a little bit with Murray. I'm not saying like Murray's obviously a great player. Um, but you know, if you, if you want to beat Andy Murray today, you're going to want to try and wear him out. You're going to want to try and move him around the court. Uh, yeah. You want to hit winners and yeah, you want to see his backhand on fire and hit him for it, but he's got to keep the ball in the court. And that's his biggest problem is that he makes so many unforced errors um, and that's with his serve too. His his serve has really been letting him down. He's a lot of double faults. Uh, first serve percentage has been a little bit low, and uh, you know he admits that his toss needs to be better and he needs to be serving better. Um, so really, you know, Shapovalov is his own worst enemy. He just he needs to be more consistent, keep the ball on the court, not go for too many big shots, you know, too quickly. Um, you know, so far it seems to be working out. He's up three one right now and has a chance to maybe go up four one here. But I think uh, that's why I keep glancing up to see what's going on here. The TV is like right above me here. Um, <laughs> is uh, I, I think that, you know, keep the ball in the court and move Murray around. And uh, and I think that he, he'll have the opportunity to get it done. But that's that's been the, his biggest thing. And um, when he's been on the big stage in certain occasions against certain players is that sometimes he just he makes the wrong decision at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, he's still young. He's, he's going to learn so much. Um you know, just again, this isn't, I mean, you hear this, the cliche, it's a learning experience or what have you, but I mean, he's never played Andy Murray before. He hasn't played on center court since he's turned pro. Uh, he did when he won the junior uh, Wimbledon title a few years ago, but uh, it's a, it's a new experience and the whole crowd is going to be against him. So, uh, I mean, it's if, if, if he can get through this match, this you can chalk up as a really good learning experience for him moving forward. Uh, the Joker's the number one seed. He's through straight sets uh, off to the fourth round. He's only dropped one set so far. Um, but cannot talk about Wimbledon without asking about 
Roger Federer, a sixth seed, hadn't played a lot so far this year. How's Roger looked, and uh, could we be seeing Roger back playing for another championship on the next weekend? Uh, answer to that question is no. I'm very adamant that uh, uh, I've been watching Federer this year, and uh, I'm sorry to say, as much as he's a legend um, and he's a great player still, uh, he will revered. He will go down as arguably one of the best, if not the best. We'll have to see where things go moving forward because he's older than the other guys are. Uh, I just don't see it from uh, from Roger Federer. I mean, this is this is you know his favorite tournament, his grass that he's won slams on. I think six or seven at Wimbledon. Um, I, I just don't see it. I mean, he he's lucky to get out of the first round when he lost to Manorino. The only reason maybe he he wins that match is because Manorino slips and falls and gets hurt. Um, but he was down. He was down in the in the four set, and uh, Manorino gets hurt, and then he comes back and and wins that uh, four set because Manorino can barely walk, and then he doesn't even have to play the fifth because uh, Manorino retired after one point. So he got lucky there. Played Richard Gasquet as a player that he's always beaten over the in the past, and. Gasquet is not a particularly great grass court player, uh, and then he, then and then he's playing tomorrow, I believe, against Cam Nori, I believe it is, and I think yeah. uh, Nori will have the crowd. You know, it's going to be weird actually because <laughs> every tournament that that Federer plays, everyone is cheering for Federer, but now you got to play a, a player, Cam Nori, who's a Brit, and it's going to be on center court. This is going to be a tough. It'd be interesting to see who <laughs> everyone's cheering for here because it's Cam Nori, the Brit, but this is Roger Federer. Could possibly be his last match ever at Wimbledon. You don't know. Um, uh, so that'll that'll be that'll be interesting uh, playing at the same time pretty much as the Felix Kyrgios match. So we're going to be doing some channel slurp, flipping there as well. Um, but I, I I just don't I just I I've watched Federer this year as I said I, I just sort of see a different player like he just doesn't seem to I don't know if it's just because he hasn't been playing because he's been off um, but he's just not the old Roger Federer and I think this is the unfortunate part is that. You know, there are glimpses, obviously, uh, he still serves well. Um, but, you know, he's he sometimes he looks a little slower. Sometimes he looks like the the, the forehand's not there. Um, you know, he's still trying to serve in a volley. Uh, I, I just don't know. Like, I mean, I just I think that it's going to be too difficult for him to get to the final. Just from what I've seen this year, just in general, like even at the French, he wins wins that match in the third round and then he ends up pulling out of the tournament because he's too he's done he's had a, he's too tired he can't do it anymore i mean this is completely un roger federer like that you've ever seen but he admits he's old um he's older and he has to take care of his body more uh it's not as easy for him to get up in the morning as it used to be um you know uh, it's a lot of years a lot of toll a lot of great matches a lot of travel a lot of different surfaces a lot of expectations um you know a lot of commitments uh, a lot of money in his bank account, but uh, certainly it's difficult to play at that high level when there's so many good young kids out there on tour like Shapovalov, like Felix, like many others. Verev, go down the list, team, when he's not hurt. Um, I just I think it's going to be too difficult for him um, with his part of the draw, and I just I just don't see it happening. Hey, John, this has been great. Where, uh, as I mentioned, follow John on uh, Twitter at SportsHorn. Where can people uh, find uh, all your reporting and whatnot on what's happening with the hoops? Uh, so, well, I'm doing a bunch of stuff for FIBA while I'm here. So you'll hear me during the halftime interviews um, talking, to the, talking to the coaches. And then uh, I'm around on the FIBA website uh, and whatever outlets across. Somebody, somebody messaged me from Turkey the other day saying they saw my thing with one of their players. So <laughs> that was kind of, kind of weird. Um, so yeah, so I, I pop on, I'm sort of all over the place, but sports horn on, uh, on Twitter is the best spot for, 
for getting all of the social media stuff and uh, I'm on the gram as well. So I'm over there, same handle. Uh, so yeah, so you can follow me on there and uh, we'll be doing uh, some more stuff with basketball, heading off to practice shortly. Canada practices at one thirty today and then um, stick around for all the other teams and see if we got any juicy tidbits to, uh, to pass along. John, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the hoops, enjoy the tennis and uh, let's do this again soon. You got it, man. Enjoyed coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. There he is. There's John Horn at Sports Horn on Twitter. Uh, you know, one of our favorites to talk. I mean, mainly tennis in the past, but this is just a perfect opportunity. It kind of killed two birds with one stone. Get the latest on Team Canada out at the Olympic qualifying tournament and then talk a little bit about our Canadians that are still alive at Wimbledon. All right, we're going to get Remus back in here in a minute. Ken Weeb coming up in uh, 15 or so. Um, big thanks to our friends at Not Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not Team? Um, just amazing vehicles. You know, got convertibles, Teslas, SUVs. I mean, you name it, they've got it. Or they can find what you are looking for. And if you're in a vehicle right now and you're looking to get out of it, talk to them about their very successful consignment program to get you max value for your present vehicle while you move in to your next ride. Um, of course, they also do incredible detailing. The service department is expanding. they got Red Seal technicians. Um, one-stop shop for all of your automotive needs with our friends, Not Autocorp, Waverly, and McGilvery, or check them out online at not.ca. I flashed the summer logger a little earlier, but with the uh, heat as it is right now, why don't you add a little little brown jug to the operation for the weekend? Well, more than just the weekend, but um, listen, this is great beer drinking weather. Let's be straight. Uh, and there's no better local product than the little brown jug. Of course, the flagship product, the 1919, as well as the new summer beers, including the summer lager and the Hefeweizen. You can get that in the summer variety pack. They'll be doing out... Uh, popping by some of the garden stores as well on the weekend. Uh, go to littlebrownjug.ca. Check the events page for, uh, they've done the Shelmerdines before, you know, the Ron Paul Garden Center. Schedule's there. It changes on the week. And again, it's easier than ever before to uh, get it delivered straight to you. Go to littlebrownjug.ca. Same day delivery in the city. Uh, if you order, I believe, before 3 p.m., all the details are there. But it's easy. It's fast. It'll come right to you. And it is damn good. Thanks to Little Brown Jug. For their support. And I guess Little Brown Jug, gonna congratulate Ryan, who won the big marble race. He's gonna be heading out to Breezy Bend, courtesy of Winnipeg Sports Talk, Little Brown Jug, and Breezy Bend. Gonna be a great prize. We'll do another one of those going into the August long weekend. Thanks to everyone that joined us on our social media page at Instagram at Sports Talk WPG. Make sure you're following that if you haven't already. Uh, but yes, nothing goes better than Little Brown Jug and golf. Our winner will be doing that. I imagine many of you will be doing that as well. And speaking of Breezy Bend and golf, I can tell you the Rocket Mortgage Classic back sort of on schedule after some tough weather yesterday. Uh, Joachim Neiman is the clubhouse leader right now at 10 under par. You've got uh, at 9 under Troy Merritt, Chris Kirk, Brandon Hagee, and the Kiz, Kevin Kisner, and Davis Thompson as well. Coming up a little later on, Will Zalatoris had a nice round today. He's at 6 under par. And a number of, Stashi uh, Kadera is at six under. Matt Wolf's at six under right now. Should be a pretty interesting weekend. Uh, of course, Breezy Bend, our great golf partner. Find out more on next season's golf schedule. It would be a great home for you and your family. Talk to Corey Johnson at Breezy Bend. Get on that waiting list, and maybe we'll see you out at the track next year. All right, let's get Remus back in here. Uh, lots of good stuff with John Horn. 
Definitely wanted to talk the hoops. Uh, discussed that a little bit on the lock shop today with some of the picks for the tournament. Canada and the Czech Republic go tomorrow. And fingers crossed we'll have Canada and either the Turks or the Greeks on Sunday night for a spot to the tournament. And uh, as John mentioned, we've got Dennis Shapovalov playing right now. He's up 4-1 on Andy Murray, looking very good right now. And uh, Remo, we've got some penalty kicks in the Euro right now. Swiss tied it up late in the second half. Nothing decided in extra time. And uh, there's nothing like the drama of the penalty kick shootout when it comes to these big international events. So we'll stay on top of that as well. Yeah, and great talking with John Horn um, about the basketball. Let's just switch back here. Um, People are asking, when can you watch these games? They're on CBC. Um, Tomorrow afternoon is the semifinal, what, 3 o'clock and then 6 o'clock. These are central times, the final. Hopefully Canada will make it and be back in the Olympics. It's funny how, you know, barely getting to the Olympics, like this last chance qualifier, and John's like, oh, yeah, they'll be a favorite for a medal. It's amazing. I guess going back to like a couple of years ago, you know, Canada basketball, maybe not what it's been, but even in the, again, just recently, so many Canadian basketball players come to the NBA, but not just being in the NBA, being stars, being the best player on their team, being first overall draft picks. Um, it's pretty incredible. And it is one thing about this is, you know, it, watching the growth of Canadian basketball and we'll see, you know, hopefully they can get to the Olympics because I think there'll be huge attention here. Uh, once it gets going, I mean, I don't know if they would play U.S. I haven't looked at the schedule, but a Canada, you know, U.S. battling for medals in basketball. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I think there'll be some extra motivation there for Canada to finally you know, put their name on the map here in terms of ball. Like, look at all their awesome players. Yeah, it, no, you're exactly right. And uh, listen, I mean, that loss they had to Venezuela was a disaster. I mean, I think it was embarrassing for the program and a lot of guys that were on the club. Um, and now they've got an opportunity to right that wrong to get there, even though they won't have a player like Jamal Murray. Um, so I think there'll be a lot of attention on that coming up this week. Just watching this penalty shootout so far, um, I think Spain just got it done. The Swiss missed three straight penalty shots. Um, I was thinking back to the the shootout we saw earlier this week with the French um, when they got bounced. That was, uh, I think, every single shot went in until Mbappe uh, missed his. Definitely not the case here with the uh, with the Spaniards and the Swiss. So Spain is through in a penalty shootout coming up this afternoon. Big game. Italy taking on Belgium. Really looking forward to that. All right. Ken Weeb's going to join us in a few minutes, Remo. We want to get to a couple other topics. We'll get to the hockey coming up with Ken. But first off, I want to talk Bombers. Yes. Big news on the, on the, the, over the course of Canada Day. A pretty significant signing at the wide receiver position. And any of you that have played fantasy football in the NFL for the last few years knows the name Cam Meredith. Had, you know, a great breakout season for the Chicago Bears was signed to a pretty significant free agent deal by the Saints, where the Bears did not match, had some injury issues, been out of football. And, I mean, the story that Ed Tate has on WinnipegBooBombers.com is it's fascinating. Like, the first thing that caught my eye is that he went out and was doing a workout with Buck Pierce. And I'm like, like, how the hell did they pull that off? I mean, in the middle of COVID with the quarantine, well, apparently, Reem, he's got a Winnipeg girlfriend and has been living here in the city for a period of time. So uh, kind of really strange how this has all come about. But we've got a receiver coming in with a pretty legit NFL pedigree that says he feels as good as he has in the past five or six years. 
this guy could be a serious difference maker for Zach Calera's Buck Pierce and the Bomber offense if things go well. Yeah, I remember when they signed Bryant Mitchell before, and I was excited they had another receiver, you know, with uh, Darvin Adams and, and Kenny Lawler. And I remember him on Edmonton. I played him in fantasy bunch. He was great. Well, he retired, and, you know, they needed to fill that spot. And I can't believe Cam Meredith has been in Winnipeg uh, this whole time uh, with his girlfriend. That was a great story on the Blue Bombers website. Uh, I would recommend reading that. But, I mean, in 2016, Huss with Chicago. And, I mean, it's not like Chicago's been putting out, like, all-star quarterbacks here. Uh, he had he had 66 catches and 888 yards in 14 games on Chicago. So he battled injuries. You know, he played in 2018, uh, you know, started one game, played six with New Orleans, had nine catches for 114 yards. So, I mean, his yards per catch looks good. He's a big guy, six foot uh, three. You know, you know, maybe, you know, if he says he's healthy, um, if he's living in Winnipeg, he says, I read the article with Ed Tate. He said that, look, he sees the passion for the CFL. He's not just some guy who's a hired gun. You know, he lives here right now. I think this guy could be an impact signing for the Bombers. And I think you have to be excited about what he could bring. And, you know, if he's healthy and, you know, he can fit in, it gives him, I think that's a great additional weapon. Oh, listen, I, I was, I was like, what? Cam Meredith's on the Bombers? And again, hadn't heard his name for a little while, but we certainly remembered him. And then when you hear mm. the connection to Winnipeg and what he's yep. doing here, it just makes too much sense. And I'll say this. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens, how he is. He says he feels great. We obviously hope that that is the case. Um, you know, considering his family situation, um, if this works out well, I mean, I think you could be talking about a player that, you know, might stick around here for a few years and be a big part of this team going forward. So we'll hopefully get Meredith on with us at some point next week, talk, find out a little bit more yeah. about him, how he ended up here. And next week actually might be a great week to hook up um, bang on the door of our pal Darren Cameron over at the Bombers because I have a feeling most of the entire team, Remo, was going to be sitting around doing a seven-day quarantine before they can get ready for training camp. So I imagine the availability of players mm -hmm. to jump on with us might be better next week than it might normally be. I saw some other uh, other players who are like, yeah, who's got a podcast? I got some time. I can hop on. Yeah, and, you know, we're exactly. seeing Exactly. We're seeing videos, you know, we're feeling more and more like CFL um, starting up soon. I saw Willie Jefferson posted a video of putting his, like, all his belongings on the, through security there at the airport. Um, who was the <laughs> other one? Uh, Yoshi Hardrick was, like, at IG Field. Uh, he was posting that. So uh, we're getting close. I can start feeling it. I'm just, like, tasting, putting in bets for CFL. Uh, getting fantasy going, and we will have CFL DraftKings uh, going. So I'm uh, I'm really excited. And I sorry, I was looking at the uh, b the Bears QB for the year. Cam Meredith, uh, Cam Meredith played for um, the Bears. Who was the Matt Barkley started six games. Brian oh. Hoyer started five. <laughs> Jay Cutler started five. And I don't know if Buck Pierce uh, seen this, but Cam Meredith actually threw one pass. Uh, one completion, one attempt for two yards and a touchdown. So uh, we'll see if... What's uh, his QB rating? What's his QB rating? Does he have the 158.3? Does he have a QB rating? Oh, it says 100. It says 100 and not, not quite perfect, but it's better than Jay Cutler's 28 QB rating from starting <laughs> five games that 2016 season. So, And yeah, Cam Meredith's a guy, a name people remember, um, struggle with injuries. I think uh, it's just getting me more fired up for the Bombers here. 
Yeah, well, listen, uh, we'll do that. And as I said, it would have been great to do our first ever Weather with Willie segment uh, right now, going into this weekend yeah. with the heat we have. But we'll wait. We'll certainly try and get the land shark, the sack chef, back on the program next week. Uh, but really looking forward to getting going with the CFL training camp and bombers. And man, I was just thinking about July. I mean, you know, this is normally a time where people kind of get going. We're at the end of the hockey offseason. We'll get into this with Weber in just a second. But I mean, for for us here, I mean, there's not really going to be a lot of downtime room. I mean, you know, we're going to get through the cup final going right into a lot of expansion draft talk. Expansion draft is on the 21st. You've got the draft on the 23rd, free agency on the 28th. And then a week from there, it's bomber kickoff and we'll have CFL games live, locked and loaded. So um, going to be a busy couple months for us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily until, of course, we get in to the fall, Labor Day, NFL, hockey coming back, and uh, and all of that. Um, listen, before we uh, get Weber on, a uh, big shout-out to our friends at Boston Pizza, Popeye BP. Uh, I didn't spend much time on the patio. I had to go inside. I'm take- Thank God the indoor restaurants are open right now because it is that damn hot right now. Um, but listen, when you are popping by the Boston Pizza patio or inside in the lounge, you're going to want to check out some of their great summer special cocktails, including the Bulldog Margarita Fishbowl, the White Sangria Smash, the Peachy Mojito Royale, the Galaxy Fishbowl, and of course, some refreshing Vizzy Hard Seltzers. They also just debuted the Honey Dill Fried Chicken Sandwich. Now, this is something that's going coast to coast, but I have a feeling probably was created here in Winnipeg considering the use of the Honey Dill. Great choice. I'm sure it'll be very popular here, as well as the Burger Italiano. Um, so go check out that great Summers Here menu. Um, they'll, you can remind yourself what it's like to actually be out in public eating in a restaurant again, do that with our friends over at Boston pizza at any of the locations. And of course they're still doing takeout and delivery. If you want to get something to the pad while you're staying home, shout out to Aikens Lake heading out there in a couple of weeks. Cannot wait to get out. If you're looking for a world-class fly in fishing destination right here in the province of Manitoba without any travel issues, Aikens Lake is the place to be, uh, find out more online at Aikenslake.com or hit Pit Turin up on Twitter at Aikens Lake. And uh, they are pulling some monster trophy fish out of the lake. I've gotten a few texts this week. I knew Pete Tessier was out there and caught up like a 43-inch pike. Um, this is, uh, if you have the opportunity to get out, you uh, trust me on this one. It is a world-class spot, once-in-a-lifetime fishing adventure. Can't wait to get up there a little bit later on. Uh, and, of course, the Cineboy Downs is back at Live Racing on Monday. They do are taking reservations right now in the dining room. VLTs aren't open, but there is limited availability to go to live racing in the dining room right now. But you do need to make reservations, so you can do that through Assiniboia Downs at the AssiniboiaDowns.com website. And we're waiting with bated breath as to when we'll be able to get out in those grandstands outside at a limited capacity at some point. And I would imagine that probably is coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but big thanks to Assiniboia Downs. Had a major controversy in race five on Wednesday. My one winning bet. I was all fired up. It was a very keen Quinella as well. And then we find out that there was an inquiry, a false, uh, something to do with the starter's gate. Everything got nixed. All bets refunded. So um, I can't wait to get back at it. Hopefully the luck will be better on Monday than it was this week in the duel at the Drowns with Michael Remus. All right, let's get to uh, our good friend, Ken Weave, who joins us. Lots going on in the world of sports, national hockey league, of course, the cup final. 
And Ken joins us now. Kenny rocking the burnt orange of the Texas Longhorns today. What's up, Weaver? How are you? Us uh, doing great. Uh, I, you've got a great shirt on yourself. Love the logo. Great to see Thank the you. merch being yes. available. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to He's back up going. with that. Uh, love the microphone. Love it looking very sharp. Uh, channeling my, uh, you know, I was able to get to a Red River showdown a couple of years ago uh, after a morning skate in Dallas. And What's that, Texas, I- Oklahoma? Yeah, unbeknownst to me, Kyler Murray in the game uh, that huh. year. Uh, just an absolutely fantastic tilt. Oklahoma up big. Uh, Texas came, or sorry, it was the other way. Texas way up. Uh, Oklahoma came roaring back, and uh, Texas won it on a last-second field goal. Uh, one of the coolest venues in sports, uh, and how they do it, Huss, down the middle. Uh, going north, all orange. Going south, all burgundy and maroon. I absolutely loved being part of it. What did you, and... did you, like, show up in a green shirt, like a tourist? <laughs> like, like, just like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, I'm pretty neutral, but uh, this is the shirt my, uh, my one of my best friends from back home has lived in Texas for a few years. He, he made sure I was taken care of. He knew I had an extra, <laughs> knowing I was coming, uh, coming from the arena. So he made sure that I didn't stand out like a, a sore thumb uh, in the throng of Texas uh, crowd. So uh, absolutely fun event. And yeah, I mean, love, love to see it. And again, with my love for baseball and, and hockey, seeing Murray live in that uh, Heisman year was absolutely uh, dynamite. No doubt. Hey, um, how's the uh, how's the golf game? The, is the Manitoba golf tour in full effect despite the sweltering temperatures right now? <laughs> it's been a quieter week. Uh, Huss uh, had a great chance out uh, to get to Breezy again this week, and it is in uh, fantastic shape. As you know, the project's coming along uh, really well, but uh, the dry. I have to report the driver is a little bit erratic right now. Uh, did not did not cart a very low round uh, the other day at Breezy. Uh, I'm having a little uh, push pull problem. Uh, the driver usually a pretty steady club. The uh, the wedge game is solid and the irons are decent, but uh, I need a little bit of range time to get the uh, erratic nature of the driver sorted out here. So uh, the rounds are not going to be nearly as high as last year, but uh, still loving the game and always great to get out. Well, um, you mentioned some issues. The Habs have some issues, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have a lot of time to fix them uh, because the puck drops tonight. And I will say that if they don't win this, um, we'll be um, getting eulogies ready for Monday's game. Uh, what do you make the Habs situation coming in? And and first off, how did you think that they played on on uh, in game number two? I mean, I still can't get over that incredible play by Coleman at the end of the second period. I mean, that is as deflating and devastating a goal as you will see with 0.3 seconds left. Um, The plight of the Habs going into tonight, Ken Weeb. Super interesting, Huss. Uh, obviously, they were very poor in game one, but if I'm a member of the Montreal Canadiens, I'm actually feeling pretty good about how the team played in game two. That was much more of the winning recipe, or the, at least the template you have to roll out in order to have a chance against Tampa. We know they're deep. We know they have the best goalie in the world right now in Andre Vasilevsky. At least that's how he's playing during these Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, but if you're Montreal, you generated 43 shots on goal. You had something like 92 attempts, I believe. I mean, tons of high danger chances. So your ability to elevate from game two to game one is really encouraging. And you know that the two big, big errors that you made are correctable mistakes. So, and and also correctable mistakes made by veteran players, Huss. I mean, if you had asked who you want the puck on his stick at, on that play, on the D2D, Sherratt to Weber, you want that puck going to Phil Deneau, right, based on how great he's been in these playoffs. But, you know, Deneau turns it over. It was a great play by Coleman to seal him off. Ryan McDonough 
McDonough steps up, gets the play going north to Goodrow. And then to me, the biggest part about that play, Huss, is Deneau has that slight mid, you know, split second indecision where he wonders if he should go to Goodrow and then realizes that he's the only guy that could maybe potentially catch a Blake Coleman who still has to lay out completely in order to avoid the back check of Deneau and somehow gets it up over the pad and underneath the blocker of Carey Price. I mean, I had forgotten about this. Sean Reynolds brought it up to me. That's a goal that Coleman scores on Connor Hellebuck in game two of the 2019-20 season, that second game of the year where the Jets came back and had the crazy rally. And then he also did it in the playoffs against Boston. So people that are all say, oh, it's just a lucky goal. Well, there's a degree of luck for sure. But if you've done it three times in the last two seasons, to me, that's not as much luck as effort. And, you know, there's a, there's an element of skill in order to raise that puck as well. So, that's just an exceptional play executed by Tampa. But if you're Montreal, you dominated that period, Huss. You have to find a way to get that clock to zero and be in a tie game rather than you know, being in stunned silence, looking at each other saying, man, we just played our best period possibly of the entire playoffs. And you found a way to be trailing by a goal. And then too, kind of unfortunate luck for Joel Edmondson. In a lot of situations, the reverse is the play there. But Petrie didn't quite have uh, enough support on that. And then the pass wasn't quite hard enough. So I don't expect these type of veteran players to make those kind of mistakes. And I'm not blaming Deneau. There's a lot of a lot of blame to go around. Ben Schrott needs to get man or puck on Goodrow when he steps up at the blue line. And even too, like I said, Deneau on the back check kind of made a split-second read that was incorrect. But it still took a perfect play to score the goal. So... Uh, I'm not quite as down on Montreal as many seem to be. But having said that, while Montreal thinks they have a couple of correctable mistakes, if you're John Cooper and and that Tampa crew, Victor Hedman said it today, we're not apologizing for being down or up to nothing. And sometimes championship teams find a way to win when they don't have their best. And that's what happened on Wednesday night. Oh, man. Uh, Ken Weeb with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I see uh, our pal Marshall's in. Greetings from SoCal. Greetings to you, Marsh. Great to hear you. And the Assiniboia Downs, Hustler covering up what he's drinking quite strategically. Listen, I am a koozie guy. Always have the koozie. But just to just to show... We're not we're not into any silver bullets or little no. brown jugs as of this point. I still got to do three hours in Calgary later on this afternoon. So that that will be after after we sign off tonight in and around seven o'clock. Um, Ken, water as, here, house water here. Yeah, well, of course, gotta stay hydrated. The the always hydrated Ken Weaves with us here on the program. I'm not sure if Kenny's water bottle has been in the chat yet today. Uh, oh, and I see our DQ Nick's here. Nick, I have a feeling blizzard sales will be brisk hey. right now with the uh, with the weather going on. Also, I took your advice and uh, tried out the drumstick. I added a little bit of cookie dough. Summer is official once you've had your first blizzard. So I, I, I did. That was a day that I got twenty thousand steps in, but I did reward myself with the blizzard. Uh, that listen, that's a veteran move right there, Ken. You deserve it. You deserve. <laughs> you have to. You have to be able to feel like you know you get you're getting something out of all your incredible dedication to fitness now that you are uh you know basically one of the leading crossfit athletes uh in southern manitoba um can can we with us um going in tonight uh, how important do you think the first period is for the montreal canadians in that you know the way they lost game two and knowing that the opponent that they're going up against i would think that you know not only carry price is going to have to be his best early on they do not want to get I mean, to me the blueprint for the habs is getting a lead and that's something that they're still sort of really waiting to get. And 
I would imagine. I have a good feeling about them, actually. I think they, I still like Tampa in five in this series, but I think tonight's the night for the Habs to win a game. Um, and I think we'll see a, a, a invigorated hockey team coming out tonight. But again, that first period and the start and getting the first goal, incredibly important for Montreal if they want to get back in this series. Yeah, no doubt, Hassan. I mean, the one thing that we saw from Montreal the other day is that, I mean, some so many people have been saying, oh, the Canadians are boring to watch because once they get that lead, they just completely clamp you down and don't give up very much. But they were able to play strong defensively and only giving up the 23 shots on goal. But they put up 43 and they didn't do it in the manner that we were used to seeing in prior years. Like there were tons of games where the Jets were the victim of the high volume shot, but they were always from the outside or from crazy angles. But the other day they generated so much offense. I mean, Nick Nick Suzuki was the best player on the ice, not named Andre Vasilevsky, nine shots on goal. And yes, he got rewarded with a lucky one with his power play uh, spinorama, if you will, with the uh, the uh, pool cue English on it. But uh, Montreal did generate, but you're right, Huss, they're most comfortable playing with the lead. And that's that's what they did against the Jets. They, they got the lead. That's what they did against Vegas. Their ability to clamp down their opponent is so important. And for me, the other factor, too, we talked about Phil, Philip Deneau earlier. Philip Deneau was a little bit out of sorts in those first two games because he went into the series thinking, my job is to shut down Braden Point. But because of the excellent job John Cooper did of manipulating the matchup and getting the Yandy Gordon line out against Deneau, he seemed a little bit out of sorts to me. Uh, Sean, our, my, my, my partner there, Sean Reynolds, has been calling that the see, heat-seeking missile line. And I've been calling Deneau the human eraser with what he's been able to yeah. do against Mark Stone, against Austin Matthews, and against the Jets' top line. That just wasn't happening in the first two games because they were having to go up against the team that sort of in, you know <laughs> imposes their will against their opponent. And that's what the Annie Gord line kind of did against Brennan Gallagher or Terry Lekkinen and Philip Deneau. So now that Dom Ducharme first is going to provide an emotional lift, but you know that Deneau is looking to try to be the eraser on Braden Point. Now that job is easier said than done, but I feel as though Deneau is going to thrive getting back into that scenario where he knows who he's up against and he knows what his job is to do, and I think he's going to embrace that. And the other part about Suzuki, now Dom Ducharme is going to have a chance to get Suzuki out against maybe the fourth line, or against maybe the Sorelli line. Like Sorelli is a great two-way player, but I mean that line is a little bit different as well now with Tyler Johnson up there instead of Alex Kalorn, who has that physical element and can still get to the net. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to watch the matchup game. John Cooper quick to say, we've got our plan and we're going to see how it works. And I mean, if you're Tampa, you're feeling great about yourselves, but you also know that this is a team that has won the cup. They know it's a massive difference if you can get it to three, nothing instead of being only up two to one. And now you give that other team some belief. I mean, we've seen it in all three prior rounds. You give the Montreal Canadians an ounce of belief and they're going to start taking it to you. So um, it'll be very interesting to see that sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> that back and forth and the cat and mouse game between the two coaches. What's uh, what's Deneau going to get this summer? Man, that's a, it's a great question, Huss. I mean, I know that the terminology was ter- you know thrown around at, that he apparently or allegedly uh, declined five at five in a flat cap world. 
can you pay Phil Deneau five million dollars? I mean, this is hus- I mean, I don't think it's the same, but it is similar to a Bobby Holik situation, right? Except it wasn't a flat cap back then. I think there's tons of teams that will be interested in Phil Deneau and very much should be interested. I think that his offensive numbers will be back on the rise next year, but he does something that so few players do with the efficiency and effectiveness of Phil Deneau that there's going to be a lineup for his services, but is that number four and a half? Is that number five? Is it five and a half? What's the term? I mean, there are so many great questions. Phil Deneau is a player the Montreal Canadiens want to have. Quebec-born Quebec kid playing on your top line. But if you know that in your system you have Nick Suzuki and Cockton Yemi, and you have Jake Evans that can play center. I mean, Ryan Paling plays some center. He was with the Laval Rocket this year. I mean, they have a little bit of backfill, but they don't have a player who plays like Phil Deneau. But in a flat cap world, how long can you commit to a player that doesn't produce as much offensively as Phil Deneau at $5 million or higher? So to me, the negotiation will be fascinating, Huss. There will be a lot of suitors for his services, but how many contenders can afford that price point or the term, which is maybe the bigger sticking point? You can pay Phil Deneau $5 million and that contract is never going to hurt you. But how long do you have to commit to get him to come to your program? I mean, we look at things going back to the Atlantic. I mean, if you're the Boston Bruins and you're losing David Krejci on your second line, does Phil Deneau not look like a perfect guy to plug and play into that role, especially if you can get Taylor Hall to commit at maybe a lower number than you would have thought going into free agency last year? I mean, suddenly you've got two-thirds of that second line already taken care of in an organization that has some depth. And then you have a guy like Charlie Coyle that can play center or wing either on the second or the third line. And then you still have Jake DeBrusque. I mean, is DeBrusque going to be there? Is he on the block? Um, To me, Huss, I mean, sorry, this is totally out of right field or left field. I mean, I think Jake DeBrusque would be a guy who would be a great fit for Winnipeg, don't you, in a lot of ways? I mean, here's a guy who has size. He's got skill. He's been to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, he's obviously in a situation where it's not going well with Bruce Cassidy. Uh, He probably needs a change. And I mean, being a guy from, you know, the prairies, he to me makes a lot of sense for what the Jets are looking for in terms of some of their offseason priorities. And maybe how about, I mean, while I'm on Boston, how about a guy like Brandon Carlo? The Jets are looking to get bigger on the right side. Yes, he is a he is an RFA. It'll cost money to sign him. But man, w- would those two guys make a lot of sense in some kind of a massive package deal between two teams that are looking to change the mix a little bit? What's um over under 0.5 offer sheets this uh, off season. Will there be an offer sheet? Yeah. I mean, I know the Kale McCarr, uh, you know, bandwagon of offer sheets is starting to fire up in full force. And I, and I see folks trying to be creative and saying, well, you expect Colorado to match, but if they have to match at a number that's between nine and 11 million, now you've prevented that team from going the distance in a longer term deal with one of their other stars. So I understand the philosophy, but history has dictated to us so far that unless there's a drastic sea change among general managers, uh, I, I right now today, I'm going to take the under, I mean, reluctantly, but I am going to take the under. I don't think it's a safe bet to take the under, but if you had said it was one and a half, I would certainly have taken the under because I just don't see it as I, I do see the value of weaponizing an offer sheet, but I don't necessarily know. I mean, the last time the offer sheet was made 
right? The Sebastian Ajo situation, I applaud the Canadians, but they kind of made the offer sheet knowing that they hadn't gone far enough. But to me, the smart part about the offer sheet that some people often overlook is that the Montreal Canadiens forced the Carolina Hurricanes to take a shorter length of deal, and that will take Ajo to unrestricted free agency sooner, right? In terms of it being a five-year deal instead of seven. Now, if you're Montreal, I mean, now everything has changed on, you know, everything's been flipped on its head, but you forced a player into unrestricted free agency earlier than the Carolina Hurricanes wanted him to get to unrestricted free agency. So to me, although everybody knew the the AAV was too low in order to win the bid, getting that player to free agency earlier, I would still say, I mean, Montreal may not win the bid in five or four years from now, but that was a stroke of genius in terms of getting a player to market earlier than he would have under normal circumstances. Ken, uh, you know, we got to touch on this. The biggest story in hockey right now does not involve what's happening on the ice. It's the situation with the Blackhawks. I mean, I'm sure you've been following this. I mean, uh, what do you make of this situation? And and what, what are your colleagues in the media speaking about this? I mean, it seems like, I mean, from my perspective, I have no idea how Scotty or um, Stan Bowman continues on with the Blackhawks. And I guess, you know, we will find out more. But based on what we know and what has been reported with some pretty crack reporting from the Athletic and Rick Westhead and the guys in Chicago, I mean, this is not only something that will have big time ramifications with the Blackhawks, but I think there is the potential that this could reach some other teams. And the Winnipeg Jets, of course, are, you know, one of those with Kevin Sheveldayoff and Wade Flaherty from that club with the Jets organization right now. What are you hearing? Yeah, Huss, I mean, I dug into the into the research on that a little bit yesterday, obviously, knowing we would be discussing it. And I mean, first and foremost, the biggest priority to the investigation and to everything else that is happening is to prevent this from happening ever again. And I don't just mean at the NHL level, this can't happen in hockey at the minor league level, even or the amateur level. This is something that needs to be cleaned up. This cannot happen. You cannot be putting players in that sort of a position or the power struggle or any of that. I want that to be the priority. You want nothing but the best in terms of healing for the two players from the Blackhawks that endured that and also the young man in Michigan. Like This cannot happen again. Hockey as a whole, we talk about hockey culture all the time. This can't happen again. Or you have to do everything in your power to prevent it from happening again. Uh, That's the biggest thing that stands out to me in terms of... You know, I think it's a good move that the investigation is happening. I mean, I know a lot of people are upset with how the league handled this. They expect them to be forthcoming, but this is a litigious matter. We know that the league is always going to be careful in what they say. But I also think that, I do think that even though the league didn't come right out and say, yes, you will hear the results of this fi- these findings immediately, they will share the findings, but they don't want to overcommit or and under deliver in those kind of scenarios. So uh, I understand a lot of folks are disappointed and I understand that speculation is running rampant and everyone wants to weigh in on who knew what and when uh, I hope that all those answers come to the forefront when the investigation is held, but I don't see a lot of value in speculating who knew what or who should have known what, when, but what I know is that, you know, the cover up element is a bad look for the Chicago Blackhawks who for a very long time have been, viewed as one of the model franchises in the National Hockey League. So uh, it's a PR nightmare for sure. But we need to know a few more of the facts and who knew what 
before. I, I mean, we understand the court of public opinion wants to be the judge, jury, and executioner, and for good reason. We can't have this happen again, and there need to be answers provided in terms of who knew what, when, and why something wasn't done. I applaud Paul Vincent for coming forward. Uh, I think he, he was in a tough spot. Um, I'm glad that he made his case public and that he is welcoming the opportunity to share his thoughts publicly. But the one thing I would caution is that it, it, unless you're in that situation, it's easy to say you should have come forward. But I think that's part of changing the culture. We need to get to a place where people do feel comfortable coming forward. And I'm the not thing sure is, that. he did come forward. Right. I mean, he right. did. And that was in 2010. Yeah, no, I mean, well, that's why I say I applaud Paul Vincent. The, the Blackhawks appear to have handled that pretty poorly. They should have gone to the cops. Um, and I well, the fact of the matter is, Ken, I mean, you know, if it's reporting something that happens in house, um, right. you know, that is one thing. But the fact of the matter is that makes this a hundred times worse than what happened initially is that after the players coming to the people that they were supposed to, this being brought up the chain, there were no charges. They didn't go to the cops. They let the guy leave under iffy circumstances, sure. And then more players, kids, were victimized yeah. by this guy who, you know, is, is a predator. I'll just say it. Um, and, and, and that, like, at that point, the negligence becomes far worse than a bad look. I mean, well, that's a big reason why there's another lawsuit being filed by someone that was a victim that I think you could certainly make the argument was entirely preventable if the people in charge of things in Chicago took their responsibility seriously and did what should have been done the second that Paul Vincent walked into the office with uh, with what he had to tell them. Yeah, agreed. I mean, and the, the suggestion by Paul Vincent that they should have gone to the sex crime unit, that that should have been the step that was taken next, right? There's there's no argument here mm-hmm. over that. And that would have prevented a number of other things, you know, even dating back to the other jobs that he had at the collegiate level. So uh, it, it's, it's something that, like I said, I, I don't want to see this happening again. I want this to be taken care of. And I want there to be, I mean, I understand people are saying justice needs to be served. You want the healing process to happen for the players. And that, that doesn't, you know, that's, that is well, the, your probably the most difficult part of it. Yeah. I mean, and to your point about making sure that it doesn't happen again. I mean, the thing that just keeps on resonating with me, I mean, these aren't stories from the eighties. This is something that happened yeah. in 2010 during the playoffs on a team that won the Stanley cup. I mean, this is, at the highest level, the, the best team in the world that year had this happen while they were winning the cup. Ken, if that can happen to men playing in the National yeah. Hockey League, that's got to be chilling to think about what can be possible still today at lower levels with people that have incredible power, influence on the future of so many of these players. Um, if that can happen at the National Hockey League level in 2010, it can happen anywhere, and that is chilling. It really is. And, and and the fact that, you know, the, the Hawks wrote a letter of recommendation for, for that coach. I think that's also a oh. big concern. That's a major concern. Like uh, that, that you get into some criminality of the ne- negligence. I mean, as I said, like, I don't know what the numbers are in what's being, because again, these are civil lawsuits. Um, the penalties from this, and I'm not talking about losing some draft picks and people yeah. losing their jobs because that is going to happen. I, I can't possibly see the resolution of this not, you know, costing people, some people their livelihood, as well as some really significant penalties to the Blackhawks. 
But when you talk about knowing what had happened, and if it is, as it's been reported, giving a letter of recommendation so this guy can continue working and with kids, I mean, that is, that's just on a whole nother level. And you, you wonder, I mean, I honestly wonder if some of that is potentially criminal. Never mind what's being sued in the, you know, what's being tried or will be tried in the in the civil courts. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you talked about the penalties with Stephen Weinel the other day, and I listened into that. And obviously, Jeff Hamilton and, and Mike McIntyre, with their with their backgrounds and this, you know, the work that they've done on the investigative mm-hmm. side, uh, have a much better handle on on those things than I do, Huss. But um, I think there needs to be accountability, and there needs to be action taken. Is the best way that I can describe it. Like I said, I I, I don't want to get into the speculation angle, but I do want there to be you know some level of accountability and you know resolution to this matter. Yeah. Now, and, and listen, I mean, it's a cloud over the Blackhawks, but as I mentioned, I mean, there are other individuals that were with the club right now that, you know, for obvious reasons have not been speaking publicly. And I, I'll point out that in all the reporting, um, you know, the meeting that took place, it was pretty clear. Mark Bergevin, who spoke to this, was not there and said that he did not know about it at the time. Kevin Sheveldayoff was not mentioned on that. But just considering how big of a story this is, do you think this will be problematic for, I mean, Sheffield Dayoff, you know, you got an expansion draft. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There'll be a lot of meetings with the media. Is that going to be something that will, um, do you think will be pre- prevalent and will be, you know, something that they're going to have to deal with going forward? Or is there, is there a statement that comes up before that? And then when they're speaking with the likes of you and me, it's about what's happening with the draft and with the expansion draft and like about the hockey business of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I mean, I would expect Kevin Chevaldeoff to, to, you know, either whether it's speaking publicly or having a statement of some sort to, to weigh in for sure. And I think that uh, obviously he would be probably, you know, he's got to be one of the people requested by the in- inquiry because it should be a company wide kind of idea on that front, I would imagine. So, uh, it, you know, it's always interesting to see how long those things last, Huss. And I mean, it also depends on what he says, right? I mean, what what is the state, what, what is in the statement? How How is it handled? Uh, I mean, if people have questions, they're always going to, you know, they're always going to ask questions until they hear an answer that they feel is adequate. So uh, how long will it hang over? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's up to up to Kevin Sheveldayoff to decide whether a statement or a public, you know, announcement uh, is the right way to go. I mean, we know Mark Bergevin handled it. I mean, right now, Mark Bergevin hasn't spoken since. I mean, will he be asked about it the next time he speaks? I, I don't know. I mean it'll be interesting to watch us, right? I mean, cause a lot of, a lot of folks are, are under the spotlight and, you know, we'll see how it, how it transpires. I, I don't, I don't have a good prediction because I've never dealt with anything like this. Huss. I'm well, not, I'm not trying to avoid the question. I, I just legitimately. Well, no. And that's why, I, and I don't know. And I don't either. I mean, listen, considering the way things have gone in the last week with Bergevin getting asked about it with, you know, all of the questions at the commissioner's presser. I mean, I have, I, I can't possibly imagine that the next time, that the media is there with Kevin Sheveldayoff, that that is going to be brought up, whether it's handled before that, I'm not sure, but um, it's, listen, it's going to be brought up. I mean, until there is some sort of resolution um, as well as just some answers for, I mean, not, I mean, coach Q, I mean, Joel Quendell is the head coach. I mean, he's there in Florida. I mean, you know, all all of these guys and not suggesting that any of them have done anything untoward. Um, but, and, and again, they were not in that meeting as far as we know, from what, you know, what was dealt with. And listen, there's a lot of organizations when you're talking about something of this level. Um, and I mean, God, the way the Hawks and, you know, these other groups, since they've gone in, I mean, their information is not really, uh, at a premium. It's not given out a lot. So 
certainly with something as serious as something like this, this could absolutely be, you know, a closed door and information not getting out to people and that'd probably be in their best interest. But the bottom line in this is just as this story gets bigger, the fact that it's gone this long, it does look like there is an intentional cover up with some pretty serious consequences of that. Um, unrealistic to think that this isn't going to be something that'll be hanging over a lot of people with some questions that, um, you know, might take away from the things that we're normally talking about, which of course is a pretty wild off season going forward. Anyways, Ken, I wouldn't quickly, uh, other thing before you go, what did you think of the Arvidsson trade yesterday? A second and a third to uh, Nashville, Victor Arvidsson goes to the Kings. Uh, this has expansion draft written all over it, considering it looks like Nashville will likely protect four defensemen, which would mean that they could have lost him. Um, what do you think of that trade? And is this the first of many to take place in your mind before Ron Francis gets his pick in the litter? Yeah, I like the deal for LA who they're trying to, uh, you know, move their program forward. They've had, a, you know, two years of rebuild here. Obviously, Nick Victor Arvidsson's a guy that we were quite familiar with from his time in the Central Division in that playoff run. I love the way that he plays. He's been hurt a lot the last couple of years, and that is sort of limited his effectiveness from the level that he was at but uh, he's a good leader he's played in the Stanley Cup final he's got a lot of experience plays a tenacious kind of game so I like what he will bring to the LA Kings and kind of that middle six role if you will uh, is it the first domino for sure but I, I don't know how big the set of dominoes will be uh, going down the road Huss I mean I think that the one thing that a lot of general managers would have learned from the first time uh, in the Vegas expansion draft is that sometimes trying to uh, protect an asset by giving two or more is a problematic way to handle it. Um, we know that side deals will be made and it, it can you align you know, some of the side deals with pieces you didn't want to lose or you were maybe more comfortable with losing than, you know, going overboard. So I think it's, an, you know, LA has done a good job of stockpiling some picks. I think it's a smart move for them. Uh, and I don't think it's just a flip flip this player scenario because of how long uh, Arvidsson's contract goes. So uh, I like the move in a lot of ways. I'll be very curious to see how so many of the GMs handle this because some sometimes you're just going to have to hold your breath, you know, bite your tongue, hold your breath, whatever term you want to do, want to use and say, well, I don't want to lose that player, but I have to. Uh, for the you know greater good, uh, so that you don't end up sending uh, you know a team maybe two thirds of your top line uh, in <laughs> in an expand pre expansion draft trade. I think it's very interesting what you brought up about about the potential for four and four. Uh, the other part that was brought up is that if you're willing to move Victor Arvidsson, uh, would that mean the Nashville Predators might be you know maybe a little bit more open to the rebuild side of things under David Poyle which we don't necessarily expect to happen but uh if there is another domino to fall from Nashville following expansion and if they are going to go on that rebuild road suddenly Matthias Ekholm is potentially back in play as a guy in the last year of his contract or does this mean back to what you were suggesting if they go four and four does that mean they already have an agreement with Ekholm either in place or nearing place that will ensure Ekholm remains with that organization as they try to take one more run with this core group? Weber, uh, what's up for the weekend? What are you, you going to be watching? Lots of sports on despite no hockey until Monday. Indeed, uh, it, it will be very interesting for sure. And I do appreciate the Remus troll job with the Mariners lid there today with me coming on. <laughs> I'm, sure that uh, I'm just kidding. I was a huge uh, Ken Griffey Jr. fan, and I have a few uh, Mariners uh, lids uh, at home at some point in my in my in my 
I'm in my dad's basement, but uh, I'll be watching the hockey. Uh, maybe hope hope to get out to play some golf, and you know, always watching a little bit of uh, Blue Jays baseball on the side. But I'm with you. I think this is uh, Montreal's best chance to make this a series. Uh, I had Tampa in six, so I do think Montreal finds a way to win it. And one last thing about that series before we wrap us, uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Eric Engels, you, you know, you were on with us. Eric Engels came on and thought it would be a, a good time for Carey Price to kind of provide one of those calm the waters kind of speeches and price has not been available since that uh, um, I think maybe after game one so I thought that was very interesting but we also know us price is a guy who chooses the actions are louder than words kind of mantra so I expect Carey Price to be absolutely dialed in tonight I think it's a uh, three to one victory for the Montreal Canadiens, and I think uh, the the city of Montreal will erupt. Uh, Dom Ducharme will provide an emotional lift, and and we're going to have a Stanley Cup final that is not a sweep. Well, Ken, I'm hoping on Sunday night we've got a big game for our Canadian uh, basketballers <laughs> to go to the Olympic Games. Indeed. That will be good. We've got some great soccer on. Jay's going on as well, NBA playoffs. And uh, I get why. I know there's a lot of people that were sour. There wasn't a Saturday night game or there wasn't a game on the weekend. But with the July 4 weekend in the States, if you want eyeballs on your product, you're setting it up the way they did. So we'll see what happens tonight. I do think the Habs have got a good chance to get back in this series, at least with a win in tonight's game. If they don't get it done, though, uh, we could be only having a couple more playoff editions of Kenny and Rennie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fill us in. You guys back at it tonight after the game? Yeah, you bet Sean's back in Montreal, uh, Huss, and we will be, he'll have to hustle back to the hotel and we'll probably should be getting up around the 1130 central time uh, matter. Could be 1115 at the earliest, but I would expect it to be around that 1130 uh, time slot. We've had uh, some great uh, interactions and engagement. Uh, We know it's the weekend, so folks are, you know, it's great to see things getting a little bit closer back to normal with the restaurants opening up at a little bit more capacity and we know that the uh, patios will be booming in the uh, 30 plus temps, but uh, yeah, we got a little bit of hockey talk for you to get you through the weekend uh, if you're looking for something to do. Well, and the great thing about the platform is that even if you're not up at 1130, um, you can get up uh, tomorrow morning and uh, find out everything that happened at the game and all the great coverage you guys are doing. I've been really enjoying the shows. I'm always getting in there on that. Eric Engel is an amazing guest when it comes to uh, the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, keep it up. We'll look forward to seeing what you guys have tonight. And again, folks, if you're not already Make sure you get over to the YouTube page for Kenny and Rennie and get that sub button. And uh, they'll be on tonight around 1130. Weber, hit them straight or straighter than they've been lately. (laughs) Thanks. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss uh, all these matters and uh, great to chop it up and enjoy the uh, three hours with my, with the boys in Calgary. You got it. Appreciate it, Ken. Great stuff. There's Ken Weeb. Follow him on Twitter at Weeb's world, uh, doing some great work covering the jets, NHL for Sportsnet, And of course he and Sean Reynolds will have another playoff edition of Kenny and Rennie tonight around 1130. uh, As soon as Sean gets back to uh, the hotel from the rink, He'll be doing it. And the shows have been great. And as I said, Eric Engels has been a really, really strong guest. A great perspective on the Habs in particular and the series that we've going, uh, we've got going on. All right. A couple things we have to get to before the end of the program. We need to tell you about what we were up to this morning before the show. Uh, but first up, let's get to our cool bet lines of the day. Quick update for you. Those are, for those of you that are watching live, Dennis Shapovalov took the first set 6-4. Just saw that he's up 3 nothing, so pretty nice start for Shapo over Andy Murray, looking to make his way to the fourth round. Uh, tomorrow, it'll be Felix Auger-Aliassime taking on Nick Kyrgios. And uh, earlier, it would took penalty shots, but Spain is through to the Final Four of Euro 2020. 
And right now, the Italians and the Belgians are going at it 0-0 in the first half right now. Tomorrow, we've got two big games, the Czech Republic and Denmark. Denmark, 120 plus 121 to win in regulation, a draw plus 220, and the Czech Republic plus 292. And then tomorrow at 2, England, a massive favorite, minus 217 to win in regulation, plus 319 for a draw. And the Ukrainians, the biggest underdog of this round of eight, plus 762. If you click on the markets as well, you can uh, see um, it, the, the two qualify bet. That's essentially just to advance. So, for instance, in the Czech Republic-Denmark game, Czech Republic is plus 140. Denmark is minus 167. That's where you want to bet if you don't want to worry about whether the game goes to extra time, whether it goes to penalty shots. That's essentially the uh, the money line bet, if you will. Two win, two advance. That's the one. Um, National Hockey League, tonight's game is between the Lightning and the Canadians. Canadians down to plus 117 favorites. It was plus 119 earlier, so a little bit of money coming in on the Habs, moving the line just slightly. Tampa, minus 133 right now. And uh, Habs, Tampa minus a goal and a half is plus 199. Habs plus a goal and a half minus 227. And uh, the series price, if you think that the Habs are have some more miracles coming up and they'll get back and win the series, 8-1 to one right now, plus 800 if you want the Habs to win the series. Um, quickly tell you about big game tomorrow night in the NBA. Game 6, can the Atlanta Hawks force a seventh game? We'll see if they can. Uh, Trey Young didn't play yesterday. No Giannis yesterday, so lo- lacking a lot of star power, but a big win for the Bucs. Brooke Lopez was unreal. Chris Middleton had a big game. Hawks, though, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home and minus 143 on the money line to push it to a seventh and deciding game seven. Listen, I'll, uh, there's a couple more odds I do want to get to, which is, of course, the hot dog eating contest coming up on Sunday. But first, let's get Remus back in here um, because we'll we'll finish off with uh, some hot hot dog takes for the Nathan's Famous contest. Um, good chat with Ken. A uh, lot of a lot of uh, things that we covered, Reem. I know you wanted to talk about that Arvidsson trade from yesterday. Uh, interesting move. I, I wasn't really expecting that. You don't really get a lot of trades happening during this Stanley Cup final, but with the expansion draft just uh, around the corner, it seems like some GMs are uh, kind of shuffling the deck chairs and uh, LA who has been terrible for the last few years, looking to get back to prominence and competitiveness, adding Victor Arvidsson for a second and a third. Yeah, I mean, I like it. They get a guy, you know, he's kind of fallen off. In 2018-19, has he scored 34 goals and uh, had 48 points. The two years before that, he had two you know, consecutive 60-point seasons. But since then, I think he struggled with a lot of injuries. He's been banged up. I'm willing, when evaluating players, I'm willing to discount um, this shortened season that we just had, uh, for whatever reason, maybe players weren't able to mentally get up for the games without fans, or you're dealing with stuff in your personal life. Uh, whatever reason, I think it is totally fair to be like, you know what, I'm willing to give this guy a shot for a, what, second and third. Uh, LA, they need NHL bodies, they can protect him. He's got a reasonable contract, I think it's like, like four year, four million for the next three years for a guy who scored 30 goals before. Um, I think, I think it's a, you know, a chance worth taking in LA. They need talent. They don't have, they're not as deep as they were in their cup teams. And I think this is a good effort. The Mitch in chat said he liked it, thought it was a steal for Nashville. So, uh, maybe that just means it's a good hockey trade us. 
Yeah, I, I, listen, I mean, there's plenty of room for offensive production in L.A. So if Arvidsson can come in, it'll be a great spot. He'll get plenty of opportunity. Um, you know, it could end up being good for L.A. At, for Nashville, I mean, listen, if you're going to lose a player like that, get a second and a third round pick, get you some draft capital going mm-hmm. forward and uh, go from there. Oh, it looks like the Italians are on the board, uh, up one nothing on Belgium in the uh, in the first quarter. Um, all right, folks, it's been an exciting week. We launched the store. Um, so, yeah, by the way, if you're here right now and you haven't seen it already, we've got the merch going. There's the Winnipeg Sports Talk shirt. We've got some hoodies and whatnot. Um, if you haven't checked it out right now, you can go to winnipegsportstalk.com, hit the store button. You'll get right to the link. Uh, shipping included in Canada for all the costs. And uh, great turnout so far, man. We, we should thank everybody uh, that reacted so quickly when we launched it uh, with a ton of orders. We really appreciate it and cannot wait to see some of this Winnipeg Sports Talk merch in and around the city on uh, some people that have been supporting us so well. Yeah, I know some people. I sent out the you know email, and if you want to get updates on new products, uh, go to the link, and you can sign up, and we'll send them out. But, I mean, uh, right away, I think uh, it was Braden came in, Fleming, and he purchased something immediately. That was, like, the first one. And I know we got a number of purchases throughout the day, and a lot of the names were people who I've seen in the YouTube chat, so uh, we really appreciate everyone uh, who is supporting us uh, in this venture and uh, willing to rep the merch. I'm hoping to make like nice, comfortable clothes. I know you were wearing, the, I think you didn't take off the hoodie. You were wearing the hoodie like today outside. You loved it well, so much. I figured, okay, so folks, this is the other thing. So today we did a bit of a photo shoot. Why in the world would we need a photo shoot? Well, good question. Um, it's because Winnipeg Sports Talk is getting into the racing game and We've teamed up with Rick Delane, one of the top Manitoba drivers, and Delane Racing. And um, I know, I think we showed this earlier, Remo, at one point, just a picture. But today, we got to see this bad boy up in person. We went by Royal Sports, took a few pics, got a chance. You actually went into the car today, which was which was quite incredible, Reem. Um, but listen, if people haven't seen it so far, yeah. there it is. Look at this bad boy. That is the car that Rick's going to be driving this year out at the Victory Lane Speedway, as well as if the border opens and they're able to get down. I mean, he's got a great track record in the circuit in North Dakotas and Minnesota as well. But um, listen, I was out of my mind when I first saw the picture ream, but to actually be there, see the car in, in person, it was amazing. Rick's such a great guy too. Really excited to have us on board with them. So um. This is a big moment for us into the racing game with the lane racing. And I can't believe how cool that car looks. That car was, I went in there. Uh, here, I'll, let me pull up the video quickly. I went in there. Um, he's got that huge, you know, he's like, but when we first started, he's like, I want to put your guy's logo on my car. And I was like, yeah, let's sure. Do it. <laughs> let's do it. But like literally is the entire hood. So when he gets going, um, we'll have to come out and support him here. I'll, should I pull? I can pull up the video of this this yeah, car play, here. Yeah, 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 play that video. Let let's let let them hear the power of. Uh... Oh, that thing's loud. Well, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that was me in there. That was man. I had to climb in. It wasn't easy. You got to take the steering wheel off. You can't climb in with the steering wheel attached. Where's the video of me getting? Oh, here's me getting out of the car. Uh, we can play that one second. Yeah. Oh, you can is... see, you can see all my Google, my Google files. Oh God, <laughs> gonna have to edit that one out. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Oh my. Oh, geez. Oh, my... 
All my Google Drive Google files. files. <laughs> oh, geez. Everyone's seeing seeing that now. Hold on. Let me, let me bring this thing up. Here, this is me getting out of the car. And one sec. Here, check this out. Great photography by me. No, I think getting out was easier. There you go. Like a pro right there. Oh, yeah, there you go. I'm looking hey, I'm pretty good in my uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk tea, I think. Available actually. now at yeah. store.winnipegsportstalk.com. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> the launch codes dot dot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Dan says, oh. I take it for a spin. I don't think I would even be able to drive it. Um, if I, it's a, I asked him, is a manual drive? And it's like apparently not like a retail car manual. It's like however it is. So I would not even be. They they turned it on, and like you needed earplugs uh, to to <laughs> deal with that. So, anyways, big thanks to Rick Delane and Delane Racing. We're going to uh, we'll get out to the track mm. at some point when we're able to and cheer on Rick and hopefully uh, get a few of you out there as well cheering him on. It should be a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it was a great way to uh, sort of finish off the show. Um, you know, thanks to everyone that's here today. These are the hardcores. I know a lot of the regulars are probably out away for the long weekend, but we really appreciate everyone that's with us live on YouTube. And for everyone that's listening on the podcast at some point today or over the weekend, thanks so much. We've got a big week coming up next week. Of course, we'll finish up the Stanley Cup final. We'll get ready for a Blue Bomber training camp. We'll have more on Canada trying to qualify for the Olympics in basketball. It'll be the second week of Wimbledon. Um, Valor FC getting back at it. By the way, I should mention, I should have done this right off the top. I guess we had the day off where we missed it. The Valor boys are 2-0, Reem. Another 2-0 win. They beat the Halifax Wanderers after that big win over Hamilton to start off. And uh, listen, I, I saw a cover of the goals and I got to give credit Valor FC. Their social media is, has been awesome. Great behind the scenes content. If you're interested in finding out more about the team and what it's like behind the scenes. Uh, but I got to tell you for a team that really did struggle in year one, made some gains, but you know, still had a lot of work to go after the Island games. Remus, our pal Gailey 77 has got the boys looking very good with this new look squad at two and oh, right now in this young CPL season. Yeah, isn't that the first time they've won consecutive games? If I uh, yeah, read, read ever. For, and they just had uh, some positive news of the defender Andrew Jean Baptiste, named CanPL.ca Player of the Week. So things best are looking up. nickname as well. He is the Beast, Andrew Jean Baptiste. He's the captain. I mm. gotta say, we've had him. We had him on a couple times back in the warm up before, and uh, he is just a great, great guy to talk to. In fact, you know what? He's also on the hit list for next week. We'll see if we can work it out some point and maybe get the Beast well, on. Talk about the great start for the season. They're going to have, what, their first game uh, with fans next week, July 7, Wednesday, was like 2,500 fans or so, 7 p.m., so. 2,000, 2,000 fully oh, it, was two, it was 2,000? Okay. Hey, and you I'm, know what? And by that time, I will I will be uh, in the clear. I'll have had my yes. shot for two weeks, so maybe I'll see if I can uh, get in on that game. Speaking of soccer, as I mentioned, the Italians up one nothing on Belgium. Tomorrow, Denmark, Croatia, early and then a 2 p.m. kickoff for England and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a feeling that 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 game in particular is going to light the city on fire. We know how many excited Ukrainians there are in Winnipeg. And, uh, well, the English support goes without saying. Lots of fans of England. Um, great stuff, Remo. Anything else you want to uh, touch on yeah, before, we, uh, before wanted, we get out? Well, yeah, we got to touch on um, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Was he the winning vote-getter for the All-Star game? 
um, pretty incredible. But I think it spawned this. Oh, let me try to bring this up here. Uh, this picture uh, that his dad tweeted out. This this picture won the internet yesterday. Uh, let me just fix it. <laughs> but this is uh, Vlad Guerrero Sr. posting on Twitter. When you were a little kid, you used to go with me to the All-Star game. Today, you become the youngest player ever to lead in All-Star voting. And look at this young uh, Vlad. Let me just fix this. Young Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, incredible uh, how little he is there. The, Very the little Vladdy picks, the little Vladdy picks are amazing. And we all remember, um, you know, when Vlad finished up at the Expos, he was out there as a little bat kid. Kind of reminded me of Darren Baker, Dusty's kid back in the day. But, uh, you know, to see a, 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 a kid that we saw grow up in front of our eyes at times now turn into arguably the best hitter in baseball, pretty exciting for the Blue Jays. And listen, if he wasn't, if he was doing this in any other year, other than the year of Shohei Otani, yeah, he'd be he'd be you know the a heavy favorite I think to win the MVP, but unfortunately for Vladdy, he's in the AL right now, and what Otani is doing is something that we haven't seen done in a hundred years. Yeah, I mean I think Vlad futures were looking pretty good, but Otani just went on this home run you know home run barrage the last week and a half, and uh, he's also you know he can also pitch too. Uh, so again, oh yeah, some, that <laughs> yeah that. So uh, pretty uh, pretty incredible, and it's amazing how he turned the whole fantasy game upside down because uh, he's pitch he can pitch and hit. But I love this picture from the weekend. I'm trying to see if I had any other notes. Oh yeah, one thing I've really been in. Do you want to look at the hot dog odds? Like, does Coolbet have that? Oh, oh that yeah, that is what I'm going to be hitting on to the end. Okay. That'd be the final what? thing. By the way, shout out to C Mac Tron. Joe, he's big Habs fan. Go Habs, go baby. Uh, he just said, hey, the Habs series against the Jets sucked me onto this channel. I was just here to troll during the season. Now I watch almost every day. Love you, C-Mac. Hey, you're always yeah. welcome. Habs That's- fans. I don't know where Sam. I- I'm concerned about how Samuel 22 is doing uh, because he and he has been a regular um, and obviously getting along with everyone. But uh, tense times for Habs fan going in. But I will tell you, I think they win tonight. I gave the Habs out as my dog pound pick in the lock shop. You can check that out later on. But yes, Remus, as you mentioned, coming up on Sunday, in addition to all the other great sports, there's the granddaddy of them all, the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest, the goat Joey Chestnut going for an 11th mustard colored belt. And uh, as you can see, Joey Chestnut, the heavy, heavy favorite, minus 2,500. And essentially, you can get 10 to 1 on any one other than Joey Chestnut. Could Jeffrey Esper, world number two ranked competitive eater, push the champion? We will see. Uh, and you know what? Matt Stoney won uh, the world popcorn eating contest a couple weeks ago, beat Joey in that. I mean, Joey's taken some L's in other disciplines lately, but when we're talking July 4th, America, hot dogs and buns, there simply is only one Joey Chestnut Remus, and he is truly the greatest of all time. Yeah, I don't think I could bet on him at minus twenty five hundred, like plus a thousand. There's some really strong eaters, and he didn't win last year, so I'm going with. I would go with anyone but Chestnut. I think no, that's no, just he about. won last year. He set the all time oh. record of seventy five hot dogs and buns, oh, which he brings did? me to the pick. Wait, he, yeah, he hasn't lost two years since ago. Matt Stoney. Matt Stoney beat him in twenty fifteen. When Joey was going serious? through some personal issues. Yeah, and I had it. This may be the best bet I've ever made. Like, plus 850 for Stoney to win, and he won. 
I should know um, this. Wait, he's won every year since then? Here, here we are. You know, while we're here, here are the totals. Here are the totals. So last year, and this will lead into the bet of the week, which is on the total. 2020 men's Joey Chestnut, 75. 19, he ate 71. In 2018, he ate 74. 2017, he made it to 72. 2016 was the historic day where he broke the 70 hot dog and bun record. Uh, 2016, yeah, 2016 was was 70. 2015 was the year that Matt Stoney shocked the world, eating 62 hot dogs and buns to win the mustard color belt and maybe the greatest history, uh, greatest upset in the history of the event. The reason why I bring those up, Remus, though, is because the the number that we need to talk about here before finishing up the show is the total. The over-under on hot dogs and buns for the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest is at 73.5. The over, which is what most people will bet, minus 192. The under, a very juicy plus 150. I will officially make this on the program right now. I am taking the under. 73 and a half HDB at plus 150. Couple reasons for that. First of all, Reem, last week or last year in 2020, yes, Joey Chestnut did set a record and got his incredible total up to 75. But let's not forget that due to the pandemic, last year's event was held inside in perfect eating conditions. This year, it's going back outside. I mean, they'll have to handle the weather. They'll have to handle the elements. They'll have to handle the crowd. And it won't be like it was last year with the best eating conditions in the history of the event. So they're going back outside. Now, I have been looking at the weather. It looks like it's going to be a high of, you know, 26 or 27 degrees, which, to be honest, is perfect. It won't be too hot. I don't believe it's going to be excessively humid. But still, we're talking about it being outside, not being inside. And the other thing about it is that when it comes to hot dogs and buns, Joey Chestnut has no rival, has no equal. I mean, Matt Stoney's really fallen off in the HDB category the last few years. I don't believe that Jeffrey Esper or any of the other competitors are really going to push Joey Chestnut so that he needs to push himself. Really, the last few years, Chestnut's just been trying to beat his own record. And... I think after 75 was put up last year without a big push, without perfect eating conditions, I think the smart money is actually going to be on the under. Now, sometimes they'll give the benefit of the doubt at the end and maybe it ends up getting to 74, 75. I don't see 76 happening. I don't think he'll set a new world record. So if that's the case, I think he gets to 71, 72, and that will be it. So I'm predicting 72 hot dogs and buns. I'm taking the under plus 150. Uh, Not a popular pick. You know, Remus, I'm a huge Joey Chestnut guy, but I just don't see it all coming together for another record. And with a juicy number like plus 150, I'm getting on that under. Yeah, I just did it. I I agreed with you. Um, I I agree. The results last year were skewed because it was inside. We've seen this heat wave across North America. Uh, It's going to be a hot one. Can he power through? Um, So I do like the under. I can't believe this run of dominance. My favorite part of the hot dog eating contest is the commentary, but also the graphics when they show like Rocket <laughs> Richard, however many championships won. Bill Larry Russell. Bird. Yeah, Bill <laughs> Russell. And then it's like Joey Chestnut. And this, I know it's like hot dog eating, but to be this dominant um, in a world competition at, you know, at any anything, any discipline, 
to have this run that he's had. I think it's incredible and, and it should be celebrated. <laughs> yeah, C-Mac wondering, what are the best eating conditions? Uh, cool, not that humid. Yeah, and not rainy. often on the 4th of July, you know, they're getting in, it's steamy. And it's not going to be that steamy. Um, but I mean, just two years ago, in similar conditions, Joey Chestnut put up 71 after hitting 74 the year ago. So it's not a done deal that just Joey Chestnut just walks up and automatically breaks the world record, mm-hmm. especially now that he's pushed it to the limit with 75 hot dogs and buns eaten. So as I said, you want a prediction? I'm going with 72. I'm taking the under on 73 and a half. And uh, yeah, high noon. So I guess 11 o'clock our time on Sunday, 4th of July. You know, they're doing it. They're not doing it on the, bro- on the b- boardwalk this year, Reem. They're doing it at the home of the Brooklyn Cyclones baseball team, um, just down the way from the boardwalk, I guess. But it might look a little bit different, but again, it will be outside. um, And we won't have terrible eating conditions, but I don't think, as I said, it's just not going to be perfect like it was last year. And I don't think there's anyone to really push Joey Chestnut to have to break the world record. So um, that's where I'm sitting. Will he get to 70? Yes, for sure. I don't think 73 and a half. That's why I'm taking the under. And I love the plus 150 on it. Great, great analysis. I'll have to tweet that one. I will have some time before the 4th of July. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a ticketed event now. Obviously, you got to limit it. I'm used to be at Coney Island and they were just like just madness. J- jam as many people as you could. So. I guess they got to, you know, have some, you know, distance between the competitors and the people. Maybe you can have a more controlled environment. But we always look forward to it. And uh, I remember cutting up like the clips of it. So we'll have some fun. We it is something, you know, it's a Fourth of July thing we always talk about. And I think people, it's so funny, we get so much. Ah, these guys talk about eating competitions all the time. It's literally like once, once a once year. A year. <laughs> and when there's no other, normally no other sports going on, but because of the calendar. Well, and of course, we did we did create and start the Man- Winnipeg Pierogi Eating Championship, which mm-hmm. I think we've given out the title five times. Unfortunately, didn't happen last year because of the pandemic. Yeah, it there's seems no like... folklorama this year, so yeah. we won't be doing it at Spirit of Ukraine this year. But let's just hope, fingers crossed, that a year from now will be the return of folklorama and the return of um, the pierogi eating contest, which was so much fun. I'm sure Stepdaddy Jay is still t- still training, still knocking. Like, when's the contest? He'll be, be heading out here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, folks. Listen, yeah. been a great week. Thanks to everyone for uh, for hanging out with us. We got soccer on the weekend. We got mm-hmm. the hoops. We've got the game tonight. Blue Jays going on. Sunday's hot dog contest. There's going to be plenty to watch this weekend. And there'll yeah. be a plenty to talk about on Monday. And I guess in the meantime, everyone should stay cool. Yeah, stay cool. One other thing I wanted to bring up, we can touch on this more. Um, the college NCAA name and likeness rules. It's fair game. All athletes can be making their own money. So Wild I'm, West right now. It's the Wild it's, West. It's wild on Twitter. And I also saw Reggie Bush putting out an appeal to give him back ha! the Heisman Trophy and his record. Reggie. I am support, I'm fully in support of Reggie Bush. Fully in support of all these athletes um, getting, you know, what they're what they're worth. So um, I'm enjoying seeing all the tweets. You know, I saw some other organizations saying, "Hey, any college athletes want to?" I saw Cameo putting out. Uh, I think I know Barstool is like, "Hey, I don't know if we're in the you know place where we can have sponsor some Winnipeg guys playing college hockey in the U.S." But uh, it's it's I think it's going to be great, but also very interesting and, and uncharted territory. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, uh, you know, that little certain, we'll get like Dan Lust on, one of the lawyers or something on to come and talk about, you know, what this means, how much money they can get going forward. But hey, well, uh, listen, it's good. It's good to see. It's progress for sure. Because, I mean, the way the NCAA has run as a monopoly, not allowing these kids to go pro, but at the same time, not allowing them to make any money off uh, legitimate likeness that, you know, has been built on their own hard work didn't make a lot well, of sense. And I think we'll see maybe some players who, you know, may not be that impactful a pro, but very good college players try to stay longer, you know, prolong and make that money. And I'm also enjoying seeing former college athletes like uh, Rex Chapman, who's very active on Twitter, who's like, I could have been making like gazillions. And like everyone had, you know, Rex, you know, colleges were selling, you know, jerseys and stuff of those players and those players weren't seeing anything from it. Meanwhile, you know, the athletic director, the coaches, the broadcasters, Everyone's making money except for the players. So I, I'm really I happy. Well, that's not really the case. That's like, you know, listen, a lot of the players are getting getting money. Um, Sorry. I, I will say this. I won't say who the player was, but a member of the Bombers in the past that played at a very prominent Big 12 school. I asked him, I said, so what was it like coming from uh, coming from, you know, the NCAA to uh, to the CFL? And he goes, well, first off, I had to take a pay cut. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I'm so, glad that said, people were were doing it. Then I, I'm hope I hope people were because it's sick that you can or weren't able Re- to legally. Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush certainly was certainly was. It's uh, I don't know. That's uh, an interesting uh, interesting thing. Holy smokes! I just turned around half time. I'm gonna have to rewind and check the highlights. Two uh, one now. Two one Italy over Belgium. Heck of a first half. The guys seem to be laughing pretty well. well. I'll check that up on that right now. Again, if uh, you want more of me, I'll be jumping on uh, this afternoon on Sports at nine sixty from four to seven Winnipeg time. Getting ready for the weekend as I normally do. Be doing a bunch more shifts there in uh, July coming up next month. But for the meantime, today four to seven. I'll tweet it out. You can check you know, check it out online. Pat's away today. I'll be hanging out with Logan Gordon. Should be a lot of fun. And um, again, thanks to Policy Me, Royal Sports, Nick and Nikki DQ, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug. May I suggest this summer lager for the weekend? I won't steer you wrong, folks. Uh, Breezy Bend, Boston Pizza, Aikens Lake, Assiniboia Downs, and CoolBet.com. Enjoy tonight's game. I think the Habs get back into this series tonight. Remote, are you with uh, Tampa or Habs tonight? I think more people said, and we did a poll a while ago, and I think a lot of people said, Tampa was their pick. Uh, yes, sixty-one percent Tampa, thirty-eight percent Montreal. Uh, Montreal played so well, but they really needed that win. Mm, I think I'm. I think I'm. Uh, they have Ducharme back. They're at home. Thirty-five hundred fans. They're not letting any more in, which is I think incredibly disappointing. Uh, I think uh, based on the line, I think I got to go Tampa, but I, I want Montreal to win. I've got Tampa. Tampa in five, but I think the Habs win this game tonight and uh, give some excitement to that city over the course of the weekend going into game four. But again, we'll be back on Monday getting ready for game four, talking all about it, along with all the action coming out of the weekend. Uh, folks, if you haven't already, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up button. A lot of our regs aren't there, so we could use a few more likes. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed. Spread the word. Hit the store if you'd like to get some of the new merch, which is available right now. 
Uh, the hoodie is awesome. I can tell you that. These shirts are super comfortable. I think you'll really like them, and we certainly appreciate the support. All right, that's going to do it for us, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay hydrated, stay cool, and we'll see you on Monday afternoon here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. We're out. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 